and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Trackman. Hey! hey. All well, right, we're welcome back. Welcome back, guys. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we have a lot to talk about today. I'm so glad that we're all able to get back together and get back on track with the book club. I'm glad to have Matt back. Thanks so much for joining us, as always, Matt. Thank you. I'm glad to be back with you guys. I miss you. Ah. <laughs> Yeah, that was kind of weird because I guess we had podcasts every week, but you and Aubrey, y'all got some weeks off. What did you do with your free time? <laughs> I hung out with my dogs. Cute. I, it was when Kathy had to work, so um, I didn't really get to do much. Okay. Had a little staycation, just had some free time to relax. Yeah, well, the dogs got sick. <laughs> oh, right. You had to take care of the dogs. That's too bad. What about you, Matt? Uh, we had our annual block party in my neighborhood. That's fun. Nice. Wow, that, that sounds was, really cool. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Uh, and then my downtime officially ended. And so, ah. yeah, now we're right back up to speed. So, right. busy guy over here. How yeah. is the goddess of death, a.k.a. the most adorable dog? <laughs> oh, uh, my dogs are great. They are they're loving life. Yeah, is, everything is fine. How is the goddess of bones doing? How <laughs> how large is her den? You know what's funny is that she does perimeter checks now. Yes. She just circles the yard on the on the outer edge of the yard. We have a pretty big yard. Amazing. And and I've noticed that she has a den in every corner. That's fantastic. Wow. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So birds and squirrels beware. <laughs> how's the other how's the other pup? Good, real good. Um, uh, she is a summer dog. Yes. Uh, she loves to be just laying in the sun. She doesn't care how hot it is. Jeez. And it's to the point where I have to like pick her up and take her inside. Oh. <laughs> you ever just hose like, her down? No. It's, it's just way too hot for her to be yeah. out there. But she's like, I do not care. <laughs> we have uh, skylights in our house. And so some of our dogs... Uh, we'll go into the other room where the, the sun hits the floor and they're just laying the sun spot. That's hysterical. Right, yeah. <laughs> it is so cute because like, I saw one of them, two of them yesterday because of the two different skylights. They were each laying in their own square. <laughs> That's super cute. Yeah. It's hilarious. Awesome. So I'm glad to be back with everyone and I'll do my usual spiel here before we get to the listener feedback. Give us reviews um, if you've been enjoying the show. Get online and give us a shout out. Thanks so much to Peter Lexius at Plexius on Twitter for the shout out this week. Also check out all of our friends on Mike Mignola's Art on Facebook, Mignolaverse.com, the Mignolaverse subreddit, and follow us on our social medias. And probably one of the best things that you can do is tell a friend about us. If you're enjoying the show and you have other comic-minded friends, tell them, you know, to jump on our show. They can catch up with all the Hellboy books. All right, and now we're going to go on to some listener feedback. You read a story. We talk about it. You hate them guys us. And it's a book club. Get out, read some floppies. We got a Hey You Damn Guys from William Thunholm in Sweden. Hey. Cool. He says, 
I love your podcast. When I started listening to you, I just finished reading the trade paperbacks volume one through six of Hellboy. While they obviously are excellent, they became even more interesting and deep when I heard your discussions of them, and I went back and had a second look at a few things. But later, I couldn't help myself. I continued to listen to you talk about stuff I haven't even read yet. And (laughs) thanks to your thorough explanation of the plot, the podcast is equally awesome without having read the comic. I never thought that. I never thought about that. Like what it what it would be like if you hadn't read it. But do read it. Yeah, oh, yeah. do read it. And he said, uh, for the art your, too. He said your discussion of Soul of Venice led me to buy in Plague of Frogs Omnibus One and hopelessly nice. falling in love with Roger. Ah, Thank yay. you. Yeah. So That's good excellent. job there. Last but not least, I think the BPRD fan might want to give the comic Ever After a try. It, too, is about a supernatural government agency, and the main character is a pansexual werewolf. Nice. It's drawn by Travis Moore, and if you ask me, he's just one of the best in the business. Sounds great. Yeah, it sounds sounds really cool. Have you heard of that title? No, I thought I had, but then I was like, no, wait, that's that dumb movie. He says, best wishes and see you in hell. And since we haven't recorded in a few weeks, William has actually sent us another message. He said, hey, you damn guys, my binge listening of your amazing podcast continues. I've just read and listened to the episode about the storm and the fury. I heard you talk about the Adam and Eve painting in the background. The serpent is often painted as a half woman, half snake in historical paintings. And so it doesn't have to mean anything more in the comic. But I have another theory. It's Hecate. First of all, it looks like her, but there's more. Hecate stole the secret knowledge by drinking the blood of the Watchers, and then she shared that knowledge with the people, which caused the ruin of Hyperborea, and led to Hecate's punishment, being a crawling half-snake. This mirrors the eating of the fruit in the Bible. The knowledge is eaten and shared with mankind, leading to its ruin, fall from Eden. And in some stories, the serpent's punishment is to crawl, that being the reason for snakes not having legs. Since I haven't caught up yet, I don't know if you've discussed this, but I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, so I, I think we might have talked about that, but um, yeah, I like putting all that together in one in one idea. That's a I, I like that. That's a neat assessment. I actually didn't know that uh, the serpent was sometimes represented as a woman in ancient paintings. Oh yeah, yeah. Paintings, so I guess a old painting, right? <laughs> yeah, um, you could maybe historical painting. Yeah, yeah. And I really like that idea that it ties into Hecate, because I remember when we talked about that story, that reminded me of a little bit of the whole... Yeah, for sure. He also says, last but not least, I made you a baby frog, and he drew this little frog monster as a baby, like wearing a diaper and stuff. (laughs) So I'll have to share that on our social media this week. We also got a Hey You Damn Guys from our pal, Brian Levy. He said, I really enjoyed the discussion of Dark and Terrible. The ongoing Abe series was originally something that I struggled with. I was expecting clear-cut answers about Abe and big climactic events right out of the gate. What I got instead was a monthly peek into Abe's mind and the impact he has on the people he meets. It's a slow burn. Yeah. It's a really different series from what we're used to, even so more than the BPRD in the streets kinds of stories. It just didn't click with me the way I wanted it as it was coming out, but that's fine. I picked up the hardcovers last year, and I reread the whole thing over a few days, and it really comes together much better that way. I ended up enjoying it a lot. The way that Scott Alley writes, I think... His approach is a little different than your typical comics writer. He seems to write for the trades, where most writers of comics are writing neat single issues right. that stack up into a trade. Ali is writing a longer story and breaking it down into single issues. That's not better or worse than anything else. It's just a different approach, and I now really appreciate it. I'm excited for you guys to get a little further along in the series. John and Matt, you already know this, but it goes really nuts towards the end. <laughs> On another note, I just got accepted into grad school. Congratulations. Hey, congratulations. Man. Yeah. 
I'm going to get my master's in library and information science and hopefully become a children's librarian. Now, this is something that came together for a lot of reasons. I'm not going to be a weirdo and credit you guys for the whole thing. However, all the talk of libraries on this podcast was absolutely something that gave me a push in this direction. Oh, that's fucking awesome. So I just want to say thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) Dude, if we are if we are responsible in any way, no matter no matter how you know little it is minuscule for you being a fucking librarian, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, really. I, yeah, I consider that a, a huge win. And also, yeah. uh, I am to your other point about how you can go back and appreciate something from a different viewpoint or a different angle or you know altogether in a different way. Like I, I, I love that. I right. love that experience of you know re-experiencing something and 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 really appreciating it the way that you maybe weren't able to before right and i fucking love that shit do with music and art and whatever this whole world this whole universe has something for everybody you know the hellboy stuff the ape sapien the bprd everything is a little bit yeah its own thing but it comes together to to you know make a big lots of different flavors to make it's great yeah it's awesome i do know what he means by about reading um individual issues and not really kind of you know enjoying it but then you go back and you read it as a whole and it's all like oh yeah Okay, that's really good. Right. Yeah, no, I'll I'll be totally honest. I actually, this might be a shocker. I'm actually afraid to say this a little bit, but I dropped the Abe series from my long box wow. when it was coming out, right around like issues 17 or 18 or somewhere around there. And then I got the trades instead because what was happening was I needed to go back and read five issues right. to be able to move on. You know what I mean? Like sometimes... Well, some stories work better like a trade. Yeah, it, it really know. does. And so I just kind of realized that every time I was going back and trying to remember what was happening in this series, I had to go back and kind of read chunks of issues at right. a time. And so I just ended up getting the trades. But you, you know, have so all I, the trades. I see you've got like hardbacks, you've got the soft cover, you've got all this, you know, I mean, it's not like yeah. you don't support and enjoy the series. So if you see on my Abe trades, I just have six and seven because sure. I have all the rest of the issues, but I didn't, but then I cut off near the end. So then I actually went back and got some of those issues at the end because yeah. I really wanted to have the single right. issues of some of those <laughs> but stories. But then you have, you have these, these big old guys. Oh, and then I got the omnibuses. Yeah. Right. I feel like, you know, that point about being able to appreciate some thing later on is yeah is really important because you can do yeah. that with anything yeah and you're a big proponent of libraries right matt oh yeah definitely um libraries are one of my favorite places to be because everyone well for one thing everyone just shuts up right <laughs> but nice. they shut up to read and to learn and to study and to take things in and to absorb things properly it's not just like a quiet zone for the heck of it right it's or even because... if it's just for entertainment like i'm still fine with that i think that's fine sure. like, oh, but yeah, it's a totally. space where you can go and yeah it's very unique i it's a very unique type of space that i feel like is so fucking important to our society especially now like if we were just even just a little bit responsible for one fucking person inching in the direction of being a fucking librarian i'm so proud of that that's incredible yeah, that's, that's amazing great. i say also like a children's librarian i mean that's that's phenomenally awesome. I have such fond memories of me too, yeah. being a kid and going to the children's library and signing up for like the summer reading club. Oh and yeah, all that kind of stuff. It was it was a lot of fun. I did all that stuff too. Yeah, we could always use more comic book readers as librarians because they've really embraced comic books. Hell yeah! But you you still need your resident expert, right? You still need somebody who can say, "Well, this is definitely for kids. This isn't." Yeah, right? because that's a good point. Because the the common perception is comic books are childish and that 
and that's not the case more and more yeah. but right. they you literally know, I, help you learn how to fucking read and more and more right. parents i yeah. think are starting to embrace that and even even if you're an adult who might not necessarily have the best literacy skills i think that's still a good place to fucking start the kids of my uh, girlfriend kathy the one that she uh, sits for she'll read them comic book stories that uh, you know they're designed for young kids because they're three and four right but they're like you know spider-man and yeah. dc comics and and Kathy's not really into comics, so hearing her talking about like you know, and then uh, Scorpion and Electro. <laughs> but to Matt's point, that's that's an excellent point of having librarians who are specifically comic book enthusiasts. I yeah. think is 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 important, and I think that even if stories are illustrated, <laughs> they're very important for literacy. Maybe even maybe even more so if you're just starting out on that journey. Oh, yeah. No matter what age you are, I think that that's helpful and, and super cool. And I think any way that someone is enthusiastic about reading, whether it's novels, comic books, whatever it is, we should encourage that. And I, th- I think that, you know, more librarians. Excellent. Very good. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but the first time I looked up a word in the dictionary, it was because of a comic book. Yeah. Because it was used in a comic book and I just I wanted to know what it meant. And it was the first time that I wanted to know what a word meant on my own volition. You know what I mean? That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's that starts a whole chain reaction that lasts throughout your entire life. Yeah. If you have a good impression of reading, if you're not frustrated and instead you're very interested. I think that that's that's positive. Yeah, so congrats again, Brian Levy, man. We got a Hey You Damn songwriter from Paul from Gardahan. <laughs> We didn't talk about the song yet. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned it a little bit last week, yeah. but Aubrey, you didn't get to say anything about it. Holy amaze. <laughs> yeah. I, wow. I mean, okay, so you sent me the song, or you sent me that email, uh, but I was actually driving to work, coincidentally listening to the podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, and then I, you know, I let you know in the meeting, I was in that meeting, and then... Um, <laughs> And then, like, I finally got out of it, and I was just like, "All right, cool. I'm gonna. I'm heading to the office, and I play the song on the car, and I'm just like, oh my god, it's so amazing.' Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I listen. I've listened to it like a billion times uh-huh. now. <laughs> I thought it was it for, very uh, sweet. I played it for Kathy when uh, when I got home. I was like, "Oh my god, you got to hear this song that this guy wrote for us." Yeah, it's it very really touching. Good. It's very touching to know that we've uh, inspired a. Some songs, and I—he's a great songwriter. That's oh, what I was gonna yeah. say. Yeah, songwriter. Paul. If if do you? I'm wondering if you write your own music or or what, or if you have your own stuff out there. You really should uh, pursue that as a little side gig. That would be really cool. And I have been, I have, I have been pushing this ever since he started writing these songs. But I think that we should replace the quote unquote that stupid theme song that we recorded on a phone and with his amazing music i think that his his stuff is way okay better. i i am not opposed to that idea yeah. do what do what you want but i have to tell you this because you brought it up when i was listening to the most recent episode i didn't know he sent that song in or anything and, and it was so cool to hear you guys recording a, a special segment just because of that and then Very touching I don't know if you said like, okay, on with the show or something, but then the regular theme kicked in and I was like, oh, I really feel right at home. Uh, (laughs) It's such a familiar thing to me now, you know, to hear that the the first note 
of the uh, the regular <laughs> intro. So I, I that horrible maybe... horrible off key note. No, it's great. I really oh, like I that. I, I like it too. I I, I enjoy it. <laughs> I think it sounds good. But that was um, never intended to make it to anyone's ears. But that's so. what makes it even better, it's like though. A scratch my track. <laughs> All right. Anyway. But I think um, we might be going into the studio soon. You know, to record some stuff for Only B. So I'm kind of hoping that we I could think do Paul's like a... stuff is better. Just use some well, of that stuff. I am. Use, like, I'm, I am still it. using Paul's stuff. I am All still right. going to be using Paul stuff in the show but yeah i think the whole thank you for saying that man the whole uh the whole seg- and he even does a hey damn guys segment we could use that yeah no i am definitely going to use some of those sound clips because i i really enjoyed it it was such a good song i think he should be the the official uh podcast music guy for yeah. for our little thing here. well he kind of is we thank him every week for the for absolutely the but here. i yeah. mean put him as the theme guy i'm gonna let's take a hey, hey damn guys this vote <laughs> hey you damn vo- hey you damn vote yeah, hey damn vote. We'll, we'll go ahead and do that, but I think I think that most people will be ah, in agreement with Matt that they like the theme song. Well, shouts out to Paul though. Yes, many shouts Very out. Very cute oh, yeah. and sweet. Yeah. Wow. Once again, Friendship. thank you. Yeah. Friendship. And he had a really good piece of feedback as well. He sent me this <laughs> earlier, but at the time we hadn't talked about Hellboy in Hell. But now that we've talked through that part one, um, he brought this up again. I don't think it's spoilery now to mention my theory that Howard's blade is the tip of the sword Hellboy's father used to chop off Hellboy's arm in Hellboy in Hell. Oh. We never get to see the tip of that sword in any of the panels. Huh. I don't yeah. Know. So um, I really like that theory. That's super cool. I do too. I never though. thought of that. Yeah, I mean, there's, hmm, I don't know. If you go back and look, we never see the top of the sword, what it looks like. What if it's Excalibur? Uh, but I I'm think... looking right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that idea, though. I mean, that sounds like a pretty cool idea. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to our Hellboy and Hell discussion. Jason Abaddon said, regarding Hellboy's getting the right hand of doom, I kept expecting to find that the plan was eventually to control Hellboy with magic because his father or Astroth would have the original baby hand and powerful magic could be done to it, like having an article of your hair or blood. Right. Just an idea I had. Yeah, Yeah, so sure. I thought that would have been cool. His baby hand is out there somewhere, it's right? A little, it's yeah. a little grim. It is, it's but little... yeah, but that is a, a thread that's left there, just like when he broke off his horns and yeah. the witches found it. Sure. And carved it into that oh, thing. That's a little. That's him. a little less dark. Yeah. I think. I do. I, I do like that. Though. Hand. But yeah. Oh, also, uh, Jason Avedon. Book club member. Book club member. Yeah. <laughs> Luke, not Dave Aldred, sent us a message on Facebook. He said, "Just listening to the podcast and loving it. Bit of a tangent, I know, but I noticed the Hellboy board game in the background of one <laughs> of your photos. Yeah, we gotta play that." worth getting yeah and so he was asking me if it's worth getting you know i i just had to have it but we yeah. actually haven't played it i know we really I need to we, we really do need it. to i really i really want to do it it's we just, haven't played it idea. we want to play it it seems cool yeah I really we got to get it. down to I it really we just don't have play. any we haven't had any time we I haven't think. had time it's been busy time been lately busy. okay quick update on that sword used to cut off hellboy's <laughs> oh, man. original arm yeah you don't they don't show the end of the sword. The base of the sword, where it meets the handle, is shaped exactly like the sword that Howard's has now. Ah, uh, interesting. Wow. Okay. Um, so that's the end of that issue when that is shown. And it might not necessarily beginning... be the same sword, though, because didn't a lot of those little goblin dudes have like that same exact yeah. like replicas of sure. that sword? Like they, they had all a similar type. The same. They were similar yeah. swords. Yeah, but the original would be way more potent. Powerful, as as... sure. Yeah, but who's so, the guy that so, had it in the Ted Howard story though? There was a specific like a dude that had it. What Galdenar? No, a diff- the demon oh he guy. got it from that guy. Yeah, he got it from that 
who got I mean, it it's from been him. around. Yeah. But the power was instilled into him by like a ghost demon. Edward Gray also had it. That's the one that uh, oh, yeah. the society yeah. took from him. Well, so then in the beginning of the next issue, when they evoked Angels of Destruction to encase his father in amber oh, or yeah. ice or whatever that is, they show the sword break. Mm. And they still do not show the very tip. Wow. Interesting. Wow. Really? So that, I mean, that is a pretty good theory. Interesting. Oh, what about, okay. okay, wait, and I don't have it in front of me. Isn't there a panel later where... They show the ring and Hellboy's throne and the crown and the broken sword. Don't they show it again there? I think so. I don't know. I think that um, there's a there's another panel somewhere else. Maybe when he's talking to Astaroth or something. Or and they still don't show wow. that sword. That's yeah. so cool. That's so that nerds can Pretty speculate. Cool. That's okay, so specifically why? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, the, the sword is like a Hyperborean design, though, right? Yeah. So, and then the hand came from the one people who passed down to the Hyperborean. Yeah, so maybe yeah. That's how his dad got the, the right hand of doom in the first place. Huh. And the sword was attached to it somehow. Right, uh, right. Not attached, like, in, like, part of it. I mean, well, right, right, right. Well, I think like in a, the... Like a, like a matching set. Sure. Well, I think in the island they show that the statue... The statue came alive and it killed all those people. That's why it's red. Right. And then it threw itself from a mountain. It killed itself. And the only piece left was the hand. And they do show yeah. the hand lying there in the snow or something. Yeah, what I'm saying is like they probably recovered it. Right. Maybe it had the sword in it at one time yeah. is what you're saying. Huh. Well, yeah, something like Somehow they're connected. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely in the same like mythology or whatever. That's a good that's It should a good be point. a whole section. Nerd speculation. <laughs> <laughs> the whole podcast is nerd speculation. That's, that's very true. Change the name of the podcast. <laughs> We had some more feedback on our Wasteland episode when I posted Dave Johnson's awesome cover with the team on all the horses. Wes Mattis said, Johnson's covers are some of the best. I love this cover. I would have it as a mural in my house. Oh, wow. Church of Sagan said, my Lawrence Campbell page is so precious to me. I'm going to knife people if he starts releasing pages from Devil You Know 15. Jeez. Yeah, so people, right. <laughs> people are super rapid for those. But, uh, but yeah, I would love to have a Lawrence Campbell page. There's actually one page that I'm kind of eyeing. That I want to, and it, and it's not one of the devil you know pages. It's not one of the epic last pages. There's one page from Hell on Earth, ah. and it's a very simple page. Maybe I'll message you about it later, Matt. It's it's and it's not okay. a very expensive page, but it's just a page that has a lot of meaning for me personally. Yeah. I would like to buy it. Um, so yeah, there. Uh, I would love to have a Lawrence Campbell page. Buy art Wait. directly from the artist. Yeah. So Lawrence Campbell's is the artist on the uh, last issue. Yes. Yeah. Right. He he he's going to hang on for to for a while. To. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to see Dave Johnson hopefully uh, if I can manage it at Rose City Con in Portland, Oregon this September. Oh wow! Nice. That is so yeah, awesome. Yeah, he's going to be there. Oh man, I gotta like if he has like a sketchbook or something like that. Maybe oh, if absolutely. I send you some cash yeah. or something, you could pick me up one. Sure. That is so sure. cool, man. I, I met him once. I don't know why I didn't get a sketch from him. I just had limited funds that year, but I really wish that I would have got a sketch from him. But I did get him to uh, sign all my books. Oh, and we didn't talk about this on the Russia episode. He actually told me that um, all the Russian stuff on the cover of those issues, like it's like it says stuff. Like it actually is something it's, that's being translated. But I, I've never tried to figure it out. And I asked him if he knew, and he was like, no, I don't know what it says. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
Any um, more readers in Russia or no Russian? Yeah, I would love to know what those covers say. We had some feedback on our Cold Day in Hell episode when I posted the original panel where Panya is looking at Abe and Ali the cat, and Ali the cat is thinking of the yeah. fishbone or whatever. That's an awesome mm-hmm. image. <laughs> Joseph Olivero said, I wish they left this in the final version. It would have been perfect. And I, I think it would have been great, perfect. too, but uh, I think it was supposed to be like a serious you know, uh, beat, and then that would have just kind of... That would have been like a, a little comedy thing going on. But yeah. I, he said, he did say perfect, right? <laughs> <laughs> he did it, but damn it, Aubrey. <laughs> that's so awesome. <laughs> Jason Abaddon said, that's awesome. My cats would definitely be eyeing Abe up as a big snack. They shiv you if you're eating shrimp and don't share. <laughs> And Jason Abaddon, <laughs> he also said, Abe's thinking, I go on one vacation in 30 years and everything goes to shit without me. Because he wakes up and he sees all the monitors and stuff like that. That's accurate. <laughs> but he also said, I prefer to think Panya is doing what's right for Abe after all. It was Abe that saved her from the nutty Oan cyborgs. Bet she misses the opium incense, though. Good shit. You were asking about ground effect flight. It's the plane downdraft hitting the ground or water and bouncing back up to provide additional lift for the plane. The Soviet Union made the biggest plane ever using this as a secret weapon during the Cold War because it flew just above the waves really fast and was below radar. It was a huge troop and tank carrier no one would see coming. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting about that ground deflect. And then you had a funny comment on that. Oh, yeah, about my dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so my dad was in the Air Force. He knows a lot about this kind of stuff. He's a uh, an engineer. He has his own patents. He, he's like the smartest guy I know. And so uh, I asked him, hey, dad, if this plane tilted at all, would it just fall to the ground? I mean, is it supposed to be level at all times? And like a troll, he just sent me... <laughs> a link to wikipedia (laughs) like i'm like no kidding i could look that up myself man i was trying to engage you in a conversation it was a week i guess he was really busy right right (laughs) he just fucking google that shit yeah i thought that was funny yeah it was a week Jerry Turnbull said, a great wee story. Jerry Turnbull. The return of Abe and the setup for his own... Book club member. Book club member. The return of Abe and the setup for his own series. He looks totally dismayed at what's become of the world. I love the remote base surrounded by men here sending out that containment spell. So I was like, men here? What is that? So men here are actually those big obelisks. Remember that there were those big black um, carved things? So yeah, I actually didn't look that up. The Menhir Standing Stone Orostat or Lith is a large man-made upright stone typically dating from the European Middle Bronze Age. They can be found solely as monoliths or as part of a group of similar stones. Yeah, so thanks for that, Jerry. He also said, Snyberg is a terrific artist and I love the subtle facial expressions he does. Parts of his stories fleshed out in 1956. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. He also said... One of the possessed guys, remember one of the possessed guys holds up Jiroko and he turns into this big mouth cauldron and he's going to drop oh, her yeah. in there? Oh, yeah. yeah. Jerry said it reminded him of Bater from the Hitman series. Huh. I've never read that, but he posted like a panel and there was like a this guy, like his mouth opens real wide like that. You ever read that, Matt? No, I never did. Yeah, Nathaniel Green also said that it was a good series, so I have to check that out. 
Was that uh, Vertigo? Yeah, I think so. Juice Olivero said, Random shower thought, did anyone else here think that the reason Abe is missing from the Hellboy reboot is that he got shot and evolved and woke up in the shape of water? Lol, don't mind me. Ah, that's pretty good. (laughs) That's a good one. He also said, Great discussion, guys. I love the bit where you found out that the demon was changed between the single issues and the omnibus. Hee hee. Yeah, and so Matt, you had also posted, I thought that was funny, that you liked that I exclaimed from off mic. I was like, it's different. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. That was pretty cool. When I posted about how Yosef was able to trap Vivara with that spell, Lobster20000 said, This is such a cool story idea. I love a cold day in hell. Any story where Yosef gets a spotlight is great. Wait, is he Lobster20000? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's just that's a cool name. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Fisher his his uh and his little avatar is Kashi the Deathless. Aww. Yeah, so I like that too. Oh, that's cool. Tom Fisher said, Hey you damn guys, I read the word vodka literally translated from the Russian means little water. Ka mm-hmm. is diminutive and voda is water. It's a gag the whole country is on. I love that. Yeah. I love that so much. When I posted about that Vivara error that we noticed on the episode, Jason Abaddon said, Hey, she's been stuck in that glass jar for 60 years, so what if she's a little horny? Going to hell for that pun alone. (laughs) (laughs) That's Um, great. And Mark Tweedell said, Matt's right. Vivara was shown as the wrong demon, but only in the single issues. They fixed it for the trade in Omnibus. That's one of the things I love about the series. Scott Alley... And Katie O'Brien care enough to get the revisions done. Others wouldn't bother. By the way, it is the same artist. The error was reported the day the issue came out, and they said about fixing it immediately, well ahead of the trade's release. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. We also had Christine Mignola's birthday over the break on July 22nd. Happy birthday. I posted something online, but shout out to Christine Mignola. I hope she had a great birthday. We had some feedback on our Abe Sapien Dark and Terrible episode when I posted the teaser... Jason Abaddon said, damn it, I want more Hell on Earth. I stayed up all night rereading that omnibus because it's so good, and now we're off on a side quest with my pal Abe. Look at those covers. Sebastian is doing a commission for me now. I cannot wait to see it. His art is just incredible. So yeah, uh, uh, Jason's going to let us know when he gets that commission from Sebastian Fumara so we can can repost that. He said, regarding Genuhem talking, we only see this with that guy that once possessed Johan, the one that Shanshen fought. It only happens when one of the Ogdruhem possesses a human host before turning all monstrous. Yeah, so that one was a human first before it turned into that Uh, thing. So I guess that's the only way they can talk or whatever. That's really interesting. Maybe it's like something in the beginning of the transformation. No, I was going to say, then they lose it, but then I'm like, no, wait, the spirit of that Ogdruhem could still talk, so I'm just wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe it's like... uh, if they start talking while it's in the human form, then they kind of still are able to hold on to that a little bit or something. And he also said this week you guys were talking about some of the objectively bad art from the big two companies and their atomical issues. Yeah. I, I, stop, always... I stopped reading that story. <laughs> <laughs> He said, I always think of those as balloon animal artists with the spray-on costumes. As my comic tastes have improved, I've drifted more towards artists like Mignola, Lawrence Campbell, and Chris Samney. Yeah. I want seams and clothes, he says. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I want also good motion. Right. <laughs> yeah, like a dynamic. It tells a story. Right, yeah, like I don't know how many times I'm going to say around. that, but yeah. 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 You, uh, there's a guy that you like that's a great artist that you actually introduced me to, Mike Allred. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I love Michael Allred. Yeah. Right now, I'm really enjoying Daniel Warren Johnson. I don't know if you've read Murder Falcon. It's like this series that's out right now. Have you heard of that, Matt? Uh, no, I have not. Oh, man. Uh, but anyway, Daniel Warren Johnson, he does all these commissions on uh, Facebook and like, 
So people will ask, like, for a commission of Luke Skywalker or a commission of Darth Vader. And he it's weird because the figure will be kind of small, but in this crazy action scene. Okay. Like, he, like, he'll draw, like, Luke Skywalker, but it's, like, him slicing through all this debris or something crazy like that. And there's all this crazy... Anyway, his commissions are incredible. I love, I love checking out his art. And I love Murder Falcon. It's a great series on Image. Regarding our Dark and Terrible episode... Eddie White said, Gustav Strobel is a great character. Sarah Cole said, I still want to follow up. Abe Sapien, the swell and notably decent, maybe just steeped in an era of sweater, Abe. (laughs) 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 Techbat De Sequoia said, I actually love Abe's evolved form with the long arms and the less human face. He's so cute. Book club member. Yeah. When I posted Fumara's version of the Salt and Sea monster, Jason Abaddon said, Fumara turned the kind of laughable penis monster into something truly horrific. And Sarah Cole (laughs) said, it's a burping penis. Thank you very much. Yikes. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought the Salt and Sea monster looked like a penis. I never thought that either. I guess it kind of does. I I always thought of it looked like a little bug. Yeah. Going, nah. (laughs) It does kind of look like that. Or like a caterpillar. Like caterpillars do that sometimes. Yeah. They stand up on their little tiny back legs and they go, Kind of like the conqueror worm was kind of like that too, I think. They try to eat. Leave, they stretch up to eat another leaf or something. <laughs> Mark Tweedell said, I love Dave Stewart's colors in all his Hellboy Universe work, but the Abe Sapien Dark and Terrible cycle is something special. It's a color journey. When I sit back and look at all 31 issues, I can't help but be awed by it. I'll chime in on a few things along the way, but I'll have a lot to say when you're done with this series. And yeah, the Fumaras are incredible, so hopefully they'll come back and play in this universe again someday. Ross Radke said, I like the street-level flowing pace of the Abe series. BPRD is wrapped up in trying to stop destruction of the world while Scott Alley takes time to show us what the world is like up close and personal. Abe reminds me of Kwa Chang Kane from Kung Fu, wandering the earth trying to help. Like Kane, Abe is often met with unwarranted hostility because of how he looks, while others want him to be the savior. But he is just a man like any other, looking for his purpose, his role in this changing world. I have thoughts about the Abe series, but they are a bit spoilery, so I sent a direct message. Yeah, and I have to talk to you about what he said, Matt. There was some cool stuff, cool. but I but I think I'll wait until we're done with the Abe series to come back to those thoughts. Okay, so here's how I look at Abe as a series. BPRD stopped being BPRD in the streets when Abe's own series came about. Right. And they just kind of let him do that work, right? Now, if if you want the street-level view... You got to read Abe. But also, I've always been really into um, it, it's like a subgenre. Like there's the crime genre and then there's crime that challenges. There's horror and horror that challenges. Right. And what that what that means is they're intentionally the creator is intentionally challenging the viewer. And so if I get to a page in, in Abe's Apian where I go, wait a minute, what? I don't get this. And I have to start over or even read the previous issue. I'm totally into that right. because I'm like, oh, okay, I don't get it. That's on me, right? I never put that back on the creator unless there's a whole handful of things that I'm just not jiving with. Right? Exactly. Yeah. But and, I and- love Abe Sapien. He's the best. I want to get this. So if I don't, I'll do whatever it takes to get it. And I wrote letters equating Abe Sapien to other series like. Have you ever seen the Australian film Wake in Fright? No, I've never seen that. No, I haven't. Not coherent. 
right? <laughs> um, from start to finish, it's one of these films where you're just like, what the hell is this about? But I love it. Abe is way more coherent than that. But right. there are times, there are, there are pages or panels where you're like, okay, I don't get it. Right. What happened? And then, and then you know, you reread it or you put it down, you come back to it later and you get it. And if you don't get it, Oh, well, I've, I still feel like that's on me. So I like when you said you want to get it like that's how I felt is like, wait a minute. OK, well, let me go back even further. You know what I yeah. found? What I found when I was I was having to read like five issue chunks at a time. So I was like, well, I'm just going to wait for the trade on this. You know, plus it was a time right. where I was having to strip books out of my box. I'm not trying to justify it or anything, but you know what I mean? Sure. Uh, and I have yeah. gone back and got some of those covers, but um. But yeah, I, I, I do definitely appreciate it a lot more on this read-through that we're doing with the podcast. I thought this was interesting too, Ross. Um, he has an iPad Pro with the Procreate, mm -hmm. and he took it to cons with him, and he was like, hey. So he met uh, Sebastian Fumara, and he was like, hey, check this out. And so Sebastian Fumara drew, on his, on, drew a sketch in his iPad, but just kind of like trying it out. And so that was like his way to kind of get sketches. <laughs> you oh, know? I thought so that was awesome. so cool. Oh, wow. Yeah, so if you check out our Twitter, you can see the little sketch that Sebastian drew of Abe on Ross's iPad. He also got Andrew McLean to do a digital sketch that way as well, and so he posted those on our Twitter. And when I posted the pic that Mike Corley drew of Daryl the Wendigo in his BPRD goggles and vest... Techpad De Sequoia said, I need a plush of this. Yeah, I, I would love to have some Daryl merch. We need some Daryl merch out there. I don't think there's any. And Jason oh. Jason Abaddon <laughs> Jason Abaddon said, someone do a raw him eating a big plate of spaghetti. <laughs> and then you did it, Matt. You drew, I did you it. drew yeah. that. <laughs> you that was a great that was a great image, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> that feels like years ago. Yeah, it was great. It was like I, last week. It, it was. It was. <laughs> It was a while ago, but I just, uh, I really enjoyed that. And so I shared that on our social, on all of our other social medias. Jason Abaddon said, this is just the coolest thing ever. Yeah. So any merch of Daryl needs to come complete with a plate of spaghetti yeah. <laughs> just in case like a kid buys it. There you, know? you go. <laughs> Get the wrong idea. <laughs> Uh, oh that would be awesome some feedback on our new race of man episode nathaniel green said i want this abe cult sign as a car emblem that's another sticker that we need is the abe the abe cult sign put it on your car you know what I mean? oh yeah <laughs> that actually reminded me of um one time like when the darwin fishes came out like a zillion years ago i was dating this girl and she was going to college in nacogdoches and she came out to her car one time and somebody had taken the thing off her car broke it and left a note on her car that said go home commie what what did she have on her car yeah. one of those darwin fishes oh god wait but what does that have to do with communism well it doesn't it doesn't, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah that's so stupid <laughs> no that we, we she told me about it and we just made fun of it you know because they're like people are in the small towns have, have small minds yeah yeah i mean i just they're not related though yeah. Oh, I know. It's so <laughs> stupid. No, I mean that's that's why it was so dumb. This that's was like a, that's I, like me eating a peanut butter jelly sandwich and someone coming up to me and being like, "Oh, so you're one of those flat earthers?" <laughs> right. like, Wait, I don't understand what you're talking about. I saw um, these two ideologies have nothing to do with one another. I saw some spray painted graffiti one time that said, "Go home, Arabics." Whoa. And Arabic is a language. Yeah. You know, right? <laughs> You can't. It's so. It yeah. Like I hate just, to be pedantic because obviously it's, it's it does a horrible 
thing that these people are assholes but like yeah then when you get pedantic it's like but yeah. also <laughs> yeah actually it's like not only are you ignorant you're also really dumb <laughs> <laughs> yeah ignorance on display yeah i mean that's not the core of the core of the issue is that these people are racist fucks but right yeah also anyway yeah um <laughs> And uh, so last week was our birthday episode. That was our birthday Yay. podcast. And Sarah Cole said, happy podcast birthday. I know I don't comment often, but it's always wonderful to have you three in my ears when I'm stuck in the studio or at work. The podcast is so wholesome, yet dealing with dark themes and horrors looming as an unflinching inevitability in the Mignolaverse. You damn guys are the perfect amount of levity to counterbalance that scale. Thanks for making this thing. I don't know why exactly, but it helps and always brightens me up. Yeah, so Aww. thank you so much for that comment. That's very thank sweet. You. And Mark Tweedell, Todd Bialis, and Jerry Turnbull all wished us a happy podcast birthday. Thanks, you damn guys. And Jerry Turnbull said, Paul's song was wonderful. Mark Tweedell said, I don't want to say too much about this, but I do want to draw your attention to it. For the crucifixes. They're everywhere in the dark and terrible cycle. What they mean, I'll leave it up to you. But I'll remind you to look back at the drowning and see what the St. Sebastian Church crucifix looks like. It might give you some ideas. Yeah, so I, I, and I meant to go back and look at this, and I just haven't had a chance to, but I remember it was all covered with um, the sea life stuff. Right, remember? right. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm remembering it now. Yeah, so we'll keep an eye on that, and I can't wait to come back at the end and hear everything that Mark has to say about this series. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Jason Abaddon said, It's interesting that the salt and sea monster interferes with radio waves. Maybe the Ogdruhem communicate along some radio bandwidth, or maybe it's doing something to the Earth's magnosphere, changing the world in unseen ways, like how its breath mutates everything. See, I was wondering about the whole radio frequency thing, too. Yeah. And he also said, Big congratulations on your one-year anniversary and on Aubrey's quitting smoking. Nothing could be a better improvement for your health. Yes. You don't want to be in the thrall of an evil necromancer. That's a drag. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. Thank you. Oh, man. Yeah, it's up to three months now. Congratulations. Yeah. We're very yeah. proud of you. That's great. And every try counts, people. Yeah. And Jerry Turnbull said, is Ross Radke mental? His jacket is on a shoggy nail. I've never heard that term, but he's talking about when Ross was saying if Howard's was a deus ex machina. Oh, right, Remember that right, okay. <laughs> I actually talked with Mark Tweedo a little bit about this. Mark Tweedo, he told me, too often people call a surprise, a coincidence, or good fortune a deus ex machina when it's not. A common example people erroneously use as a deus ex machina is Han showing up to save Luke and Leia at the end of A New Hope. It's not deus ex machina because it was seated throughout the movie. Luke and Leia constantly try and get through to Han and make him care about something other than himself. He shows up at the end because they succeeded. It's a payoff, which is why it's a satisfying moment. Usually the best tell for deus ex machina is there is no satisfaction to it. Yeah, and Howard's was definitely very satisfying, so well, <laughs> we well, loved it. <laughs> well, one thing, like I was saying, like had we not got that uh, Abyss of Time story, yeah, and it was just some agent that they found who just happened to be laying next to a sword kind of thing, that would have been more of Deus Ex Machina, but we already knew who he was. Right, it had been set up. Yeah. When I posted that dreamy splash page by Max Fumara of Abe, and he kind of gets in a fetal position, and he turns into that stone egg that the jellyfish right. hatches from... Nathaniel Green said, these colors. Jason Abaddon said, Fumara's art is so great here. I think I like Seba's art a bit more than Max. This week, anyway. 
IAV Studio said, so conceptually beautiful, Mobius would smile. And Ross Radke mm. said, this page is incredible. Dave Stewart's subtle palette makes it sing. And he posted a gif of Robert Smith from The Cure singing, and he's like going, you're beautiful. Oh, so yeah, so I thought awesome. that was great. <laughs> Brandon Beast W on Podbean said, I didn't realize it's been a year. Congratulations, you damn guys. I've been listening since the start, and I can't imagine a week without reading Hellboy comics and talking to our friends. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. When I posted, uh, I was working on my notes yesterday, and I posted that, that back on my bullshit hashtag. Todd Bylas said, your hard work is much appreciated. Aww. Yeah, so thank you so much. Yeah, it is a lot of work, but it's so much fun. I couldn't imagine not doing it at this point. He does spend a lot of time and effort doing all this stuff. It's been awesome to see just how much you, how much enjoyment you've gotten out of it and how much enjoyment like all these other people we've made these yeah. connections with. And it's, yeah, it's really cool. I do appreciate all the hard work, too. Oh, man, it's a wonderfully good time. I, I really love it. I get excited about recording the show. Aww. Oh, me too. Friendship. Yeah, and I thought this was a nice comment from Mark Tweedo. He sent me a message and he said, you Mark know, a book club member. <laughs> he said, you know, these last few episodes of the Hellboy Book Club show how it really holds up even with only a few issues. These two and three issue episodes don't feel like half episodes. They feel full. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so thank you so much. Yeah, yeah okay, I really appreciate good. that. And I, I think they turned out really well. And so yeah, okay. I think that that's a good fallback if we have to go out of town or something like that. And we need to double up on an episode, which we might have to do again in a couple weeks. So yeah. And a big, big mega shout out to Mark Tweedo, especially after our year anniversary, because he's like the unseen hand of the podcast. He's guiding us and setting us up with the reading order and his feedback is always top notch. So I definitely want to recognize Mark Tweedo after a year of episodes because he's kind of, we do the show, but the reading order is kind of, he, he lays the backbone for that. And he's been so awesome with everything. Yes. Thank you, Mark Tweedo. Thank you. Yeah. We're very lucky to have him uh, participating in the book club. I mean, that goes for any Hellboy fan. Yeah, it really does. Any Anybody that wants to know more about Hellboy of the series can just Google his name. He's written so many great articles for Multiversity, yeah. Well, I remember before we started this podcast, you um, sent me the link to his uh, reading order. Yeah. And then um, then you sent me, like, it was, like, 2017, I think, and then you sent me the 2018 one. Yeah. And I, I still have them both bookmarked on my phone. Yeah, they're really great. We're so fortunate to have him helping us out, so thanks again, Mark. Like one time I asked Scott Alley a question. I forget what it was about, but I was looking for clarity. I was like, is it this or is it that? And he responded, whatever's on the page, right? Like, I don't remember. <laughs> and so then then I just looked up Hell Notes by Mark Tweedale, and it was right there. Yeah, yeah. And I awesome. was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, he's a great resource. I'm surprised by how many things are... You're absolutely right, like just looking stuff up and then you notice, oh, Mark Tweedo wrote this. Yeah, because I'm always Googling stuff. Awesome, awesome. Now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. Thanks for all the listener feedback. We're all caught up now, so we should be good going forward. This week we're going to talk about BPRD, Hell on Earth, Lake of Fire. This is a five-issue miniseries published from August to December 2013 with covers by Rafael Albuquerque. Albuquerque is a Brazilian comic book creator primarily known for his artwork on DC Comics' Blue Beetle and as illustrator and co-creator of the vertical title American Vampire. Though, oh. though primarily a penciler and inker of interior comic art, 
He also has done uh, work as a cover artist, and so that's where we get him this week in this story as cover artist to these, and he does an awesome job. We'll talk about his covers along the way. Story by Mignola and Arcudi. We've got Tyler Crook back on the art, colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. We don't mention it enough, but we've got Scott Alley on the editing. You can assume that for most of the titles that we're reading. And so on this cover, we kind of see the salt and sea monster in the background, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, this is a great cover, too. You know, I mean, Yeah, and it's a nice tease that it's going to have something to do with Liz. You see the title, Lake of Fire. You see, like, kind of that image of her. And so, yeah. yeah. I, I kind of, I didn't realize it, but I've kind of been waiting for this story because ever since, I guess, the end of The Plague of Frogs, you know, her hanging out with the, um, the hillbillies there. Right, and gods <laughs> and monsters. Yeah, yeah, but since King of Fear, we've kind of all been waiting for this one. Yeah, so, I, I, yeah, I'm just excited, you know. We open, and all it says is March. So I was trying to determine how much time has passed since A Cold Day in Hell and Wasteland. I actually went back and looked in those stories, but I didn't see any time indication. Do you, do you know how much time has passed? No, and I think I brought this up once before. It's very hard to tell what year we're in. I think that might be also be like, I don't know, maybe I'm totally off the mark here, but that sort of, to me, provides an actual realistic feeling of what it would be like wandering around with no... You have no Mm -hmm. phone, no watch, no computer, no... You know, you don't know what fucking day it is. Sure. How much time has passed. Right. It feels weird not having a schedule or even, like, days of the week, like, probably, you know? So I think that that sort of almost lends itself to the mood and the set and setting a little bit. I actually think that sort of enhances the reading experience. Yeah, they should have said March question mark yeah right. sure <laughs> we see the ruins of a town and a half blown up ogdruham people in yellow hazmat suits walk past it and the hazmat suits have a v on the back and this one guy stops he kind of gets transfixed looking at the guts of the monster and he has these bright green and blue eyes heterochromia yeah. and so he's like looking and he sees all these like bugs crawling around in there i guess these are like ogdruham maggots or something well or? they're like little there's yeah. those uh Remember in that the one about the monsters has little lice crawling all over it, which incidentally had the guy who played You're Hellboy. Right. They are they pilot giant uh, oh, uh, Pacific Rim Gundam Pacific wings. Rim. Yeah. yeah, yeah, oh yeah. It's like Gundam wing, but it's got it's like basically Gundam wing. <laughs> okay, but then it has these monsters that are kind of like Evangelion monsters. Right, the kaiju monsters. Yeah. 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 Anyway, the guy who played Hellboy. Fuck is his name? Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman. (laughs) So Ron Perlman comes up and he's like, "We sell these bugs that come. come, We got them off the monsters. These are kaiju lice, whatever they are. Right? That's kind of like what these are. You're right. Same deal. I mean, I I like that the kaiju lice. Sure, right. But I also was thinking it was like you know, just earthly bugs that. Or mutating because like oh, the way the, oh, interesting, just like those coyotes or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah, for sure. That's a good theory too. For sure. A police officer in some kind of riot gear comes and he he like gets the guy. He says, "No rubbernecking. There's a lot of work to be done. Nobody dragged you here. We learned that the V stands for volunteers. So these are all people that are like coming to help. And this guy, the volunteer, he says he didn't realize there was no living souls around." All we have is death everywhere, he says, except here. He kneels down and inspects the mold and the bugs surrounding all the dead monsters. I already do not like this guy. Yeah, and he's like, everywhere except here. Yeah, so that's an ominous setup. That is creepy. Oh, yeah. Were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say, where are we? Yeah, I don't know. 
I actually I know this story takes place in Utah. Is that is this Utah? Are we here now? Yeah, you're you're right because it has to be the same city where that hospital is, I guess, right? Yeah. Like yeah. later there's a police car that says Salt Lake on it. Right, yeah. Ooh, Salt Lake of Fire. <laughs> oh shit. Nice. Yeah. No, that definitely makes sense. Mm. We cut to a match being struck. We focus in on an eye and it's Liz. She's in the hospital. They have to use candles because they're using the generators for the ICU. Liz says, it's okay. The fire doesn't scare me. The doc that she's talking to says that Liz is healing amazingly, considering she was pulled from under a collapsed building. She's been bedbound for two months. The doctor tells her that they need to get her up and walking, but Liz doesn't think that she can walk. The doc says, it's just muscle atrophy. Trust me, in this Thunderdome world we've got now, you won't get by in a wheelchair, he says. Physical therapy starts tomorrow. And Liz has this real apprehensive look as the doctor blows out the candle, and then she's just left there in the dark. I really like um, that kind of pacing there. Yeah, I like that too, because Liz without fire is, um, that's a bad thing. Yeah. But also, I've already noticed the reader is being asked to focus on people's eyes. In this oh, series. okay. So yeah. that that happens more, but it's just something I noticed. I don't really know how meaningful it might be. No, yeah, because even when they show the doctor, the light is shining on his eyes, so you can see what color they are. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. It's almost like she doesn't want him to blow out the candle. She's like, "No, wait, the fire is my friend." Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting to see the dynamic of her relationship with fire kind of evolve because I think in in a lot of ways, when you're telling these in other comic book companies you have to tell these very dry formulaic stories that never it's kind of static and it, it doesn't really it's it's not able to right. breathe there's no room for it to really breathe and so like you'll have a character that's a fire character and their relationship with fire is complicated but it's always in the same exact way and here her relationship to the fire her pyrokinesis or whatever has always been complicated but in so many different ways we've right. seen that evolve and it's, now she's like well but wait like hold on now i wish i had this thing and yeah. so like what the fuck and so it's always been a part of her identity it's been a part of her for so long that now she doesn't know what the fuck she's worried yeah. without it it's like a you're, fucking really worried you're absolutely right because when she brought roger to life she even reflects on it later and says that she wanted to get rid of it yeah she was looking yeah. for somewhere to throw it you know but now that it actually is gone yeah that's really interesting and she's tried to learn how to control it and she's tried to learn how to be at peace with it and she's tried to learn how to use it for yeah. herself and for others and the good of the whatever and she's tried to do this and she's, it's we've had so many different it's been a really beautiful vivid journey with a lot of ups and downs right. and a lot yeah. of uh creative avenues that you wouldn't see in a you know where in other companies where creativity is kind of stifled a right, little bit and right. i think that you know when creators are allowed to really explore a character thoroughly you get this really rich yeah kind of story where her relationship to the fire is is almost another yeah thing in and of itself i like that a lot i also noticed the exterior to the hospital here it says and it shows the full name later it says sydney c greaves hospital i couldn't find a reference to this name i did find a greaves hall hospital in england but this is obviously not in england right england is destroyed here so anyway Maybe sydney greaves is somebody that the artist knows right. the writer yeah. knows we cut over to air force jets flying through the air these look like mcdonnell douglas f-15 eagle tactical fighter jets although Wait, i could be wrong the fuck how did you 
I just looked at, uh, well, because I noticed that it has an Air Force symbol on the side. And so I looked for Air Force jets and the closest that I could find was that F- F-15 Eagle Oh, okay. This is like a jet. Google Yeah, I just looked at, I, I looked at, I looked at pictures on the internet. Interesting. It, it, it does look like an F-15. I used to kind of be obsessed with those. Honestly. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I don't know anything at all about any of this kind oh, of thing. So I'm always it. very impressed when people know very specific <laughs> stuff about machines. I'm like, what? So it is interesting, though. It's got an Air Force symbol, and then it says Navy in the back of the jet. Oh, well, yeah. You know those right. planes that land um, on the, the giant... Um... That's, those are Navy pilots, though. They're not in the Air Force. Yeah, those yeah. are... That's not an Air Force jet. Oh, okay. That's yeah, a Navy jet? Navy. Mm-hmm. Is it the F-15? What's that? Um, well, it's got the F-15. I don't know. Because, I mean, uh, if it was like an F-14, it'd have those wings that fold it back. But then again, it's also it could be an F-18. Mm. Okay. Thanks for that correction, Matt. Well, I grew up like a block away from the U.S. Naval Academy. Oh wow! Wow. See, my thing if I'm if I if I were an artist working on a book like this, I would just Google jet and draw the first fucking jet that I thought looked cool, <laughs> and wouldn't research any of this shit. And then people are taking it apart later, like, uh, is it a naval jet or is it a whatever?" The fuck? And I'd be like, "I don't fucking know." Like, um, excuse me, in this issue, you drew this, and I'd be like, "I have no fucking idea, man. I'm sorry." That reminds me of that uh, Simpson episode where... Yes, yeah. <laughs> precisely. <laughs> Lucy Lawless is just like, man, I don't know. I don't know, dude. For somebody who's your age, you spend a lot of time thinking about a children's cartoon. <laughs> Aww. I withdraw my question. Aww. Yeah, I'm not trying to shame anyone. No, I just, no, yeah, no, I, no. You know, it, just, it just reminds me That's of that. actually me. I would be like, I did zero research. Sorry, man. The two pilots communicate and they report to each other that their gyroscopes are going haywire. One of the pilots says, this is where the others turned back, but we can't. See we, the ominous. speakerphone? It's a polycom. The conference phone or whatever that is? Right, yeah. right. That's how you know Kate Corrigan has now entered yeah. the story. Yes! Yeah, yeah. Aww. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Aww, we, poor Kate. We cut over and we see Just, that they're all listening to it in the control room. Yeah, The endless hell of bureaucracy <laughs> and conference meetings. <laughs> Poor Kate. And Kate's sitting there. She's got Johan, Devon, Jiroko, and it looks like Manning is there. Yeah. yeah we haven't seen Manning man? in yeah. forever. Yeah. The pilots, they see this kind of mutated whale thing in the water, and Kate listens as they freak out. What they think is like the mutated whale is just one of the tentacle claws of this giant Ogdruhem octopus thing that comes out of the water. I really love that, how like it's kind of like the claw makes a little mouth thing. And so they think it's just that, but it's just yeah. like one arm yeah. of this giant. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> design. Fucking, yeah. The tentacle claws tear through the jets. The scale of it is so scary. Yeah, and we see we see how many jets are out there. And Kate and the crew hear feedback and turn off the call as, you know, all the pilots are supposedly getting destroyed by this thing. Just imagine how fast that tentacle is moving to be able to catch a jet. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. Jets jets are fast. I mean, they're going like Mach 1 or, or right. 2 at the most. Right, so, I mean, right. That is one fast motherfucking Hodgerham. And then so it cuts over. They turn off the conference call, and then now it says August. Yeah. So I thought that I was trying to track the time in here. Okay. So, yeah. it's, so it's three months, yeah. two months. Yeah. And so they have this guy from the army there. His name tag says Schenk. And he addresses Kate and crew. 
he says that's the end of the transmission which is rare because most frequencies go dead and we talked about that a little bit already the ogdrahem kind of interfere with all the radio signals he says they've been able to set up recovery operations in some cities but new york is impenetrable and they totally gave up on england yeah he says we've lost her all of great britain is gone but we're not ready to roll over on new york they're running low on soldiers and they want the BPRD team to go in. But look at Kate with her hands folded. Yeah. She had a chance to stay in England. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh. right? That That's before this, correct? Yeah, in an unmarked grave. Yeah. Uh, she looks reflecting to right, me. Right, like right. She's thinking back on yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. That run in with Alice. Good yeah. character catch. Yeah. Yeah. Manning says that the BPRD doesn't have the firepower to go in. And they kind of go back and forth. Manning says that the BPRD have limitations too, but the army guy says they've been at it longer. Kate tells him that he has to take it up with the UN. The army guy reveals that he already did that, and he hands her a list of 14 UN ambassadors missing in New York since the disaster. Is this his way of kind of saying, you guys have to go find these people? Right, well, or is that the mission, or is that, or, no, all the UN people are dead. Is that what he's saying? Well, no, I think it's what it's saying is, like, she said, like, you have to take this up with the UN, and he's like, I already did. They want you to go find these people. Right. So yeah. he preemptively knew that she was going to say, we can't do it because you got to take it up with the UN, and he's all like, The UN is like, please help us. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah so they got to go do that mission anyway. We cut over to... This uh, creepy scientist doing creepy scientist shit. He's listening to this sermon. <laughs> and we see the priest, and he's got the salt and sea monster on his robe. Did uh, you notice that? It now, okay, so now I see the penis. Yeah, see now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's interesting. We've got creepy religious cult and then creepy science guy. Yeah. At the same time, kind of overlapping. There are people taking advantage of this situation in a yeah. bad way. I'm going to skip these is... pages because I hate them, so... But think about the contrast of what's going on in Abe Sapien right now with Strobel. He was trying to take advantage of the situation too, but he's struggling. Right. Yeah. Right. So these, right. these guys are, they've already realized, no, 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 this is a make it up as you go situation. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> so like the scientist does the negative scientist thing. The preacher does the negative preacher thing. Wow. Strobel was, he was always planning on Satan getting his back right, right 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 and he can't do that anymore so he's like huh so what does the evil guy do in this situation <laughs> right oh like, you know okay, you gotta make a point there he's been spending like what centuries studying the dark evil arts yeah planning to hang out with satan and all of a sudden no that ain't gonna happen right <laughs> and this guy's just all like i got an idea yeah the scientist is listening to the sermon the priest he says people think he's crazy but that's only because he's not talking about heaven or hell or kolob. So I wasn't familiar with kolob. That's a star or planet described in the sacred text of the Latter-day Saint movement. Oh, jeez. A reference to kolob is found in the Book of Abraham, a work that is traditionally held by the several Latter-day Saint denominations has been having translated from an Egyptian papyrus scroll by Joseph Smith, the founder of the Latter-day Saint. Saint what about Zenu? The Latter-day Saint movement. Yeah. According to the book... Kolob is a heavenly body nearest to the throne of God. While the Book of Abraham refers to Kolob as a star, it also refers to planets as stars. And therefore, some Mormon commenters consider Kolob to be a planet. So anyway, okay. I knew nothing about that, what so I had to look that up. Like Joseph Smith was like the L. Ron Hubbard of his time. Right, right. He yeah. is, I mean, he's a con man. 
Yeah. What the fuck? That's what I mean. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, but that's what it's like. It's so baffling to me. It's like so obvious. See what he's writing in his notebook? He was in San Francisco at the beginning. Oh. Behemoth's blood taken from San Francisco. Good catch. Yeah, I didn't Months even notice ago. that. Yeah. Oh. Jeez. Fun note about uh, Kolov. The creator, the original creator of the original Battlestar Galactica was uh, a Latter-day Saint. And he based the Whoa. whole, all of that, all the planets, all that, and all the, the 13 oh. tribes on fucking uh, <laughs> on Mormonism. You know wow. what? It's so super interesting and as... Like, changed the planet name from like Col- whatever right. to, to Cobol. Uh, other okay. things like that. Look, wow. I think it's it's fucking amazingly cool and interesting as a series, as a TV show. It's it's a fun, creative adventure, and yeah, I mean, who yeah. wouldn't want to you know read a book like that or watch a TV show like that? I think that's fun and super cool. But then when you get people basing legislation off of um, myths that are supposed to be entertainment, is where I kind of draw the line. Right, it's not even legislation. It's just like fooling people to believe it. Yeah, I know, but like you know, cults and cults, cults have a broader societal impact that ends oh, up yeah. making its way into legislation. Things that govern everybody, and so it's one of those things where it's like, hey, can we all back off of this, please? But then we've got this science dude who's also doing some bullshit. So right, yeah. yeah. The priest on the TV, he says, "The Bible is a nice book." Is it? Is it really? Is it? It's really not. It's (laughs) really not in any way, shape, or form. But it's not our book, he says. Even if it's true, it's all past now. I don't want books or other worlds. I want life. I want this world. And don't bring me the past. Bring me the future. As the priest is going on, we see the scientist... He's a, we can see from his eyes that he's the same guy from earlier who was inspecting all the fungus and all that. And he's using a syringe to inject the mold stuff into this dead cat. And then over the next page, as the sermon is going on, we see the cat uh, slowly reanimates, right? Well, maybe you see it, but I already turned the page. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if it, if they weren't living in this already fucked up world with Audrey Hamm and all that, his whole message of, like, I don't want uh, other worlds or I want this life, not I want this world yeah, and all that. it sounds That's actually, cool. That sounds like a great message. It sounds too. great. <laughs> it's a good plan. Yeah. The things he is saying are good, but the things that he is doing, yeah. those yeah. are not good. Yeah. I mean, and that's how cults work, you know. Sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And Tyler Crook does a, a great job with all the gory, gross stuff, as always, right? I wouldn't know. <laughs> we cut over to a beach scene, and we see these two girls splashing in the water, and one of them has an emblem. Did you notice that I emblem there? I see that, yeah. Right? So that's the one that Phoenix has on her hoodie. And we see these parents. The dad is cooking hot dogs, and they're all smiling and having a good time. Also, like I love how the art shifts from the dark palette to the yeah. bright Oh, color. yeah, yeah. Very bright, colorful palette, yeah. yeah. Wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> that, that is a good setup for the rest of the story. Yeah. And so then Phoenix wakes up, right? We see that we see that Phoenix is it was just a dream or a vision or something like that. I would like to know where she is getting the hair dye. Because <laughs> when you're a homeless wastrel wandering around, you have almost no resources to even barely feed yourself. Right? Where the fuck are you dyeing your hair? Well, Where is the manic panic coming from? When she was with all those those uh, the homeless punks and all that, maybe like right before she separated from them, sure. she got a new dye job. Or like she's she's looting. 
Manic, she's looting manic, some manic yeah, pants. Yeah, yeah. Sure, because who else would be looting it, right? <laughs> you know what? That's a good point. Maybe she found some at the Hot Topic before she set out. Yeah. It's in her backpack. Yeah. All right. So uh, as soon as the apocalypse says, I'm reading the Manic Panic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to re-up. <laughs> and so Phoenix is sleeping on the ground. She's got Bruiser nearby. And she walks past this sign that says, follow your dreams, salt and sea. And in the sign, it looks just like that vision that she was having. Right. So I wonder if like she was looking at the sign when she fell asleep or, you know, it's kind of like because it's almost the exact one guy is with the girl giving her the hot dog and the other two. One has sunglasses and a hat. And that's exactly how it was in the other page. Oh, shit. I didn't notice that. Yeah. It's a, it's a dream. I thought she was like dreaming of maybe about her um, parents. Yeah, that's what I thought too. But then when I saw that sign, I was like, oh, it's maybe a blend of, and you know. These cars in the background are 1950s cars for sure. Right, right. Oh, so maybe that's just way... her hair color. Maybe that's just her. I was like, oh, but she had brown hair over here. I totally misread that page. But the um, billboard, because we watched the thing about the Salton Sea. It was fucking awesome. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about that anyway, video. Yeah, sorry. but there was a billboard in that one. The billboard, in contrast with the bright color we called out on the previous page, is the creator's way of saying, okay, if you guys see bright colors, that's not reality. Yeah, that's not sure. In present wow, day, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they're sort of setting us up because we already know they just gave us on the first page March. They don't right. say where, they don't say when, really. Right. March when? The beginning, the end? Is it spring? Right. Okay, when, that's you know, my like, bad. Yeah, that's just her. That's just her hair color. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I always thought that was dyed, but yeah, whatever. I thought so, it was dyed too. So um, I think they're trying to let us know we're not going to hold your hand. This is your one chance to right. pick up on the fact that if the color shifts, there's a reason. Right. A woman in a beige dress approaches Phoenix and Bruiser. Her name is Gigi. She says it's her third pilgrimage. And she leads Phoenix over to the side to one of those Salton Sea monster eggs. The mother made it, Gigi says, and look what she left us. She tells Phoenix, you have to touch it. It's unreal. And so there, there's this whole, like, you know, burning man thing going on yeah, over geez. here at the Salton Sea monster egg. It's like in that scene in Contact, right after the alien uh, signal was discovered at her. Um, right. And all those people coming out. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, no, I would not want to touch that goddamn thing. <laughs> yeah, no, come on, yeah. yeah. Phoenix says she's not there for a pilgrimage. She's there for a homecoming. And we cut to Phoenix in front of this trailer home. We cut back over to the hospital. Here's where we can see the name, Sydney C. Greaves. And we see Liz is using a walker to get around. The doc's impressed. Liz mentions that she knows that he's leaving. And the doctor's like, oh, the nurse has told you. Liz says he doesn't have to explain. She says she doesn't know how he does it. And the doctor says, you just help whenever you can, and sometimes you can't help at all. And behind him, we see the horribly mutated person on a gurney in the background. Liz says, no explanation necessary. But I was thinking, the way you've been stalking me all this time, it was leading to a dinner date eventually. And the doc says that he'll make a special trip for that. I like these scenes where Liz is just being a human. Yeah. She's yeah. just being like a person, you know? That is, if you don't fall in love with my replacement, the doctor jokes. He also mentions to Liz that she has a roommate. She was working on reconstruction in Salt Lake City, but got hurt, the doctor says. Her spirits are low, so he thought that if she could be with someone who came through the fire, it might help. And I like how he uses that term, came through the fire, right? 
Right. Yeah. And then she goes into the room to meet the roommate. And I like this opening line that she gives. She's like, hey, who let you in here? Like, I just love all those She's, little yeah. moments. You know what I mean? It's it really. Uh, I just like how they flesh out her personality. Yeah, it's been a nice beat, and we know that like she's been in the hospital recovering, and you know, joking around with everybody. Yeah, it's a wonderful moment in this. She's still Liz time. too. Yeah. Like she's still got that Liz personality, she but really she's trying does. to make the most of it, which is um, something that's very cool, I think. And so the doctor looks pretty pleased as they get to talking. I like that little panel where he's kind of like smiling. You know, he knows that they're hitting it off. We cut to the creepy doctor that we saw reanimating the cat. And we learn his name is Dr. Clyburn. He's meeting up with some colleagues, their other doctors, and they ask about their antibiotic order. Clyburn says only half the order went through, and they start getting all outraged. But Clyburn says everybody is shortchanged by the CDC due to rationing. But listen, please, I've been working on something. Maybe that will help, Clyburn says. So much needs to be done, of course, but if you're interested, I'm eager to get started, he says. Yeah, so we already kind of know what research he's working on. So now we have chapter two. We get another cool cover by Raphael Albuquerque. This will make more sense after we read the issue, right? But it's kind of setting up uh, some really cool reveals for Phoenix. We open at the BPRD headquarters and we get this cool scene. I like how we see all the agents that we've been introduced to and now they're all interacting with each other. We got Gervish, Nichols, and Jiroko. And they walk towards the commissary. And My as, boy yeah, Ted this, Howard's. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this yeah. has come up before where we where we've said other comics, even early early Hellboy would say, okay, here's the page where we say who everyone is, what their right, role yeah. is, where we know them from. But instead, this has been built in over several like uh, story arcs. Yeah. Right? And now when they're all here together, we know who they are. We it's get satisfying. satisfying. I was yeah. about to say that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It rewards the long-term readers, too. Yeah. yeah, and they see Danielle's boy, Ted Howard. That's my boy. He's got a holster for his sword. Look at my beautiful wears son. wears it on the back, yeah. <laughs> Gervish asked Isn't him, that called a sheath? Oh, yeah, I called it a whole... Yeah, sheath, you're right. I like uh, Jiroku's hairstyle going now. She's keeping the uh, the short on the side. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah, since she had to have all that surgery on her head. Yeah, she just went with that it look. It looks good. It's probably easier, too, in the shower. Yeah. Okay. And in combat situations, maybe. I don't know. Gervish asks Howard, how is it going? But he just walks by. Jiroko says she doesn't like him, and he hopes he's not in her squad. Gervish says Jiroko doesn't like him yet because she hasn't seen him in action. And Jiroko asks, why does he carry that sword all the time? Nichols says, boy just likes being prepared, I guess. Donkey jawbones. They ain't as easy to find as they used to be. And she's like, what? And I didn't get that line either. I don't understand that reference. What is, do, do you understand that? I thought it was like a, didn't he, didn't like Samson kill like a bunch of people with a jawbone in the Bible? Yeah. Uh, God infused power into Samson to fight his enemies and oh. he used a jawbone as a weapon. Why and are we all after- just automatically supposed to know these very I didn't, obscure I, I didn't, references I didn't to the know Bible? That, I didn't know that reference. Thank you so much for I, filling me in on that. Yeah. Yeah, and then afterward he boasted about how I used this donkey jawbone to make donkeys out of my enemies. And, you know, meanwhile, God's going, uh, I gave you the ability to do that. Tough guy. <laughs> so that was sort of the lesson there. I think this just shows that Nichols maybe has some religious upbringing. He yeah. actually may have brought that up before. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't get that. It looks like Jiroko doesn't get it either because she's like, what? Right. But, you know, <laughs> what? here's the thing, though. Has 
I, I guess we're supposed to either assume that Howard's has undergone some sort of psych evaluation or therapy. Oh, I don't Otherwise, know. they're just like, no, he woke up fighting. We can use that. He's good. Put him back in uniform. Look, it's the apocalypse. Right. I think they're just taking anyone yeah. they can. Yeah. He's like their most powerful ally at this point. He's he's another weirdo guy, and it's the VPRD. And so. I think, like, for all his kind of psych evaluation, I think maybe he's just a quiet guy. Like, there probably isn't yeah. much to that, except he doesn't talk very much. You know what I mean? And so there's probably not yeah. a whole lot that, that they can do about that. And they're like, well, you know, he's... He's not trying to kill us. And he's... <laughs> taking lunch you know obviously so he's he's fulfilling his you know basic needs i guess yeah and they're lacking the enhanced talents yeah for agents, real right yeah so they're like that's as close as we can get to like an abe sapien at yeah the right we cut over to liz at the hospital and she's smoking out the window she looks like she's really enjoying this yeah. smoke <laughs> and we see behind her the city is being rebuilt i was gonna ask are they rebuilding the city it looks like it yeah and the nurse comes into the room with their roommate, Andrea, who apparently has bronchitis, and she starts chastising Liz pretty hard for smoking in the room. And, well, she should, because that's not good. Yeah. It, it, it isn't, and from their conversation, it seems like this isn't the first time that she's caught Liz doing that. But Andrea says it doesn't matter. Liz says, cut that crap out. That attitude, that's what's going to kill you. No, pneumonia, Andrea says, that's what's going to kill me. Andrea says the physical therapy isn't working. She needs antibiotics. And Liz says they could get a shipment tomorrow. And then suddenly, creepy Dr. Clyburn bursts in. <laughs> you know, she is right about that, he says. A philosophy based up on the past, that's dangerous. All the promises in the future. And Liz is like, nobody asked you in. Clyburn <laughs> says, Miss Sherman, I'm agreeing with you. We may get the medicine we need, or it's possible my work could help your friend. Before the disaster, what do you do? Sell used cars, Liz responds. Nice. <laughs> and she tells him to beat it. <laughs> I, Scram. Uh, you know, that's just like that good classic Liz instinct, you know, because I mean, she just knows yeah. that this guy is, I mean... Even if there wasn't in the apocalypse, this guy is just not trustworthy. Yeah, and the facial right. expression that Tyler Crook gives her when he when he bursts in is so great. <laughs> so after Clyburn leaves, Andrea asks Liz why she was so harsh. Liz say, no way that oily bastard is good news for anyone. I can feel it. I'm not the person I used to be, but I can still protect you from that sleazeball, Liz says. Maybe I'm even better at that sort of thing now, because the way I was before, I couldn't help or heal anybody. All I was really good for was hurting, burning stuff down, not putting it back together. And just then she gets this vision of Shan Chin behind her and he says, untrue. I love that. Yeah, yeah it's great. Yeah. And so she turns I around mean, really quick, but he's he's already gone. She knows that that doctor's way too enthusiastic mm. for for the environment, right? For, yeah. Because in contrast with the doctor from the beginning, right? Right. This guy seems to be embracing the future are you kidding me it's yeah. looking pretty bleak right, right right like learn how to read a fucking room and right. then as soon as she steps up liz steps up even a little bit instinctually trying to tell this guy you know beat it there he is whispering in her ear yeah. untrue right i feel like she kind of unlocks something in that moment right yeah like if she had a block like internally like that block is coming down a little Right, right. I love that. I also like it as like she she looks like she's kind of starting to be a little negative on herself, and Sean Chen was like, you know, because like, she says like she was only good for destroying, right, yeah. And Sean Chen's like untrue, yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. I love that. 
Andrea says, protecting isn't what she needs. She's getting sicker. How can Clyburn's alternative be worse? Well, let me tell you. Yeah. (laughs) And Liz doesn't know yet, but she kind of deflects the question. She tells Andrea to stop talking like she's dying. She says, they'll go check out the cute nurse on the fourth floor. Andrea says, that boy's gay. Liz responds, he'll have to prove that to me. (laughs) She's got these weirdly aggressive moments. That's harassment. (laughs) We don't ask anyone to prove their orientation. But I I also wonder if she's just, um, that's just talk. Like she's just trying to be. Locker room talk. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's trying a little too hard to be funny. But look, look when she turns around and nobody's there. There's a picture of a windmill. Oh, yeah. She's chasing windmills. She's tilting at windmills. Symbolism. Yeah, I like that. Like Don Quixote, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's Tilty Nats. We cut to a house, and we've got those bright images again, right? The right. color palette. And a woman is talking on the phone. She says she hasn't heard from Tomas in months. And she's cooking corn dumplings. Mmm, corn dumplings. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds really good. It does sound good. I love it just reminds me of the corn baller from Arrested Development. <laughs> you know, those sounded good, too. <laughs> Everyone had these ridiculous burns all over their arms. Mother of God! Oh! Every damn time! Well, that was great. So, this is the like the mom, that, or I guess the one that was playing in the the river earlier? In the first flashback? Right, but was that really a flashback? Oh, yeah. Right, like right, right. Okay. yeah. I'm, I'm using the, the story term. Sure, flashback. sure. But that is the trailer that she walked up to with Bruce. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. And the woman hangs up on the phone, and she calls in Phoenix for lunch. And we see this young girl sitting outside. So I guess this is young Phoenix, right? And so the little Phoenix is staring up. And from her point of view, we see this, like, ghost girl, like, above her or whatever. And it's so weird. Like, I love this effect, how it's like, um, it's got this tracer coming from above or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. There are two things in the Hellboy universe that have ever truly creeped me out. The crooked man and this. Yeah. Yeah. How do you how do you escape something coming down at you? Yeah. Where where do you go how do you get away from that? What do you lay down flat? It's still there. It just I thought that was the creepiest thing in the world. It's because very creepy. If we zoom out, how far does that trail go? Right. Yeah, no, yeah, that's what I kept thinking of is like where is it coming from? So, like, all she can see, and you can see it on the bottom of the next page, all she can see is this thing in front of her. Right. You know, she probably can't see behind it. Wow. I don't know. I just really, the first time I ever saw that, it was genuinely creeped out. Yeah, it's very unsettling. The mother comes outside. Feeny, aren't you hungry? Something bad's going to happen, she says. The mom says nothing bad will happen, and then the phone starts ringing. We cut over to Imperial County Child Support Services building, and Imperial County is in California. It seems like there's been some question if she's really Phoenix's mom, right? She's talking to this doctor, and the doctor is saying that there are there have been some discrepancies. And we see little Phoenix sitting in the lobby, and she's, yeah, she's looking at that ghost thing that's right in front of her. The ghost asks, why won't you play with me? Phoenix says the ghost tries to scare her. The ghost responds that what she tells her is always real. I tell you the truth, and Mommy says we should always tell the truth. 
And then little Phoenix starts yelling at the ghost saying, she's not your mommy. Take that back. I hate you. I don't ever want to see you again. And the mom comes over and tries to console her. They don't see any of this that she's, so she just looks like she's, you know, talking, arguing with nothing. Yeah. Like it's childhood, uh, maybe some sort of a mental disorder of some kind or right. She's just getting more, yeah, worked up. She's crying as she's screaming at the ghost. Now from, from the reader's perspective, I don't know if I brought this up when we were talking about devil's engine. Or if I just wanted to and held back. But if you go back and reread that story or any story with Phoenix, you can see that she is, it's almost as if there are scenes missing. Mm. Right? Like anytime she has a vision, they could have very well just let you know that this this girl ghost was giving her some insight. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. it's, It's like they took panels out of the story almost. Right, that little piece has been missing. Yeah, and so now the doctor and the mom, they're seeing what we've been seeing, which is which is just Phoenix acting weird. You're right, because like when yeah, she was on the cool. train with Devon, she's like, we got to get off this train right now, we're all going to die. But it's like, right. we didn't see the panel that the ghost is telling her that. Right. Yeah, that's a great yeah. point. And so as Phoenix is yelling, we cut to a bruiser barking. I like that transition, right? And Bruiser's barking, we reveal he's barking at those weird mutated coyotes. Probably the same one from last week's story, right? That's what I was assuming. Yes. Yeah. And Phoenix pulls Bruiser back. They'll try to get home earlier tomorrow. So I guess she's trying to access that trailer, but the coyotes were already in there, so she couldn't go in, right? Or right. I guess that's what they're, they're where they're staying. Well, I thought that she stayed there the first night, and then they came out, and then they got home too late. Right, right. We cut over to the... Hell on Earth, Coachella, where they're all partying around the <laughs> uh, the salt and sea monster egg, and you can see they've drawn a symbol of the salt and sea monster on there, and it also says renew. <laughs> Phoenix and uh, what were you gonna say? I can't stop now seeing the penis. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> but, uh, and so we see Phoenix and Bruiser watching from afar. And this guy comes up to them. And this is Bob, right? He was the same guy that was talking to mm-hmm. Abe in the last story. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. So, his yeah. P- yeah, and we know it's him because his place is all painted. It has that God and love thy neighbor and all that painting on the side. And so before we did the episode today, I sent all of you guys a link to that YouTube video, An Accidental Sea. I remember we were talking about a few episodes back. I was wondering about asking about if the salt and sea was polluted and i was like okay yeah it is kind of polluted. but i didn't know anything about the man-made lake or the guy in his thing right that weird uh so this place where bob lives it's based on an actual place in the salton sea in the sketchbook scott alley mentions a six-minute documentary on youtube called the accidental sea by rands riggs and so they talk about this place around the five minute mark they say it's a mountain made of mud and straw, telephone poles and truck tires, and 100,000 gallons of paint. One man built it over 30 years, and he kind of looks like this character Bob, right? Right. Did you see in the comments on that video that it looked like the guy who made it actually passed away? Oh, no. Uh-huh. That's sad. And the comment was like five years old, too. Okay. So Yeah. I mean, it's a great video. You should definitely check it out for yourself. I did get a screen grab of this thing so I can post it online. But that guy's been uh, memorialized here yeah. in the story, I think, which is cool. And so in the video, the man says that the god is love took him about 18 years and another 14 years to build the rest. Yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. And you had already seen that video, Matt? 
Yeah, I must have looked it up when I got the trade. Oh, okay, because it, it, the same notes are in the trade, right? Yeah, back in 2014. And if it wasn't in here, it was probably a letter column, but I, I think it is in the trade. Yeah, yeah. I just watched it last night. It was really cool. It's definitely worth checking out. I was going to say, it's such a weird place. It really is. And so like if, da- if da- you came upon that, you'd be like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Right, yeah. And Danielle was mentioning the billboards or the yeah yeah there were billboards there that were all kind of faded. It kind of looked like that one that we saw earlier. Weird. Does it make me weird that I actually kind of want to go there? Right. Yeah. It's just such a monument to the hubris of man. Right. Well. Yeah. Or humanity. Yeah. Phoenix asked Bob if the party goers borrowed the paint from him. Borrow. He turns and we see his face is all beaten up. Phoenix says we can't let him get away with that. Bob offers Phoenix a place for her and Bruiser to stay since those mutated coyotes got their trailer. Phoenix says that they'll find a spot by the shore, but the guy says, you'll freeze your ass off. I got plenty of room and it's warm. Up to you. And he walks back inside. We cut to the hospital and Liz is in her bed. She's got a candle burning nearby and she's like running her finger through the fire. You know, and then she's kind of sad. So like, I wonder if like she's you know, trying to see if she can move the flame or something like that. And as she's doing it, she kind of burns herself, right? Well, it looks like she's, yeah, and then she stops her hand in the fire and it burns her. Right, yeah. right. Because it looks like she's trying to pass her hand through the flame. Yeah. To see if she's still, I guess, fireproof. Right, right. She's trying to work up the confidence. Yeah, right? yeah, definitely. And then she gets burned, so she kind of backs off of that. And we see that she has an unlit cigarette in her mouth. And then so she hears her roommate start coughing in the bed. And then so we cut to her smoking outside. I kind of like that, right? Because she, she knows that she can't be smoking in the room. Yeah. Suddenly, she sees Clyburn. He's just digging in the dumpster nearby. Yeah, that's what I want the doctor to be do. I want the doctor to be dumpster diving. Yeah, I mean... Gross. <laughs> and once he sees Liz, he turns to leave because she told him to beat it earlier. And Liz says she actually wants to talk to him. Perhaps tomorrow, the doctor says, relax, Liz says, I'm not going to hurt you. Besides, it'll be easier to admit my mistake with no one else around. And he's like, mistake? Look, Andre's in trouble, Liz says. I get it. And I guess the way things are, it could be that you are her best hope. Whether or not I like you kind of doesn't matter. She's scared, and I want to take that away, but I can't. All I can be right now for her is a friend. Got to learn how to do a better job of that. And Clyburn says, it's not a bad thing, Miss Sherman. A friend is all most of us can be. Not me, Liz says. I used to be more. I was... Ah, uh, who cares what I was? I understand, Clyburn says. The past is hard to release. It's familiar. We've lived it, after all. Change is difficult. The future is so difficult, because we don't know it. But it is coming. Thank you, Miss Sherman. In the morning, I'll drop in. We'll all talk more then. And they have this really nice scene, you know what I mean? And so Liz yeah. is like, oh, you know, he, he's going into the basement. She's like, I didn't realize they put you on the basement. So he opens the door and she hears a cat meowing. And she's like, oh, you've got a cat? I never thought you'd have a cat <laughs> down there. And then so he's like, gets all scared, you know. She wants to go check it out. He touches her shoulder. That's the first wrong thing that he did yeah. right there, right? Yeah. He's like, it's all right. See, I'm backing away. 
It's just that a man has a right to privacy. And <laughs> here's another one of these weirdly aggressive comments by Liz. She goes, uh-huh, Supreme Court says so, but they're not here right now. <laughs> I mean, she's not wrong. And she looks in there, and she sees all these fucked up mutated animals that he's been experimenting on, right? Ugh. And so after she had this really great moment with him, and it reaffirmed that maybe she's going to get some help for her friend, then she sees all this. She's like, no, my gut instinct was right. <laughs> Clyburn says, it's what we've been talking about, Miss Sherman, reality. I look at the world and I see what's there. Others see destruction. I see life. Therein is our salvation. Maybe you're not ready to hear that. And Liz is like, let's see if the hospital directors are ready to hear it. What makes you think they don't already know all about it, Clyburn says. There's a door. I won't stop you. Tell whomever you please. And so Liz opens the door and she says, you're bluffing. Nobody ever lets you get away with this. You'll discover for yourself, Clyburn says. You'll see. Not everyone is so attached to the way things once were. We can't be. We don't have the luxury of time, Miss Sherman. And she opens his door, which he told her was the exit. But then in there, there's this like horribly giant mutated like cat thing. Is that the cat from the beginning? Right? Yeah. 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 He brought. He reanimated it. Yeah. And so it's we can see like dead corpses around it, and it's like it's got two eyes on the side of its head and this enormous claw or something like that i was wondering if those bodies were the directors oh right oh because he was saying they yeah, already go know. Ahead and tell that the directors <laughs> mm-hmm. already know so yeah you're absolutely right aubrey yep. Clyburn says the future won't just wait it's eager to be here it's coming for you uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so liz is totally unpowered she's left in front of this giant monster and as we see the cover to chapter three, we see that she's definitely going to have to fight this thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's just a wicked cover, though. Yeah. We open at Bob's place. Phoenix can't believe that he has tea. Yeah, so they have some tea there. Bob has a lot of supplies. I saw this mess coming, he says. Bob asks, what's Phoenix's story? She didn't come for the pilgrimage, so why would she come there? Phoenix says she used to live there with her folks, and it seemed like a good place to come, to get some peace, to get away, she says. There are some things I've done, and some people too. That's more like what I meant. Bob says he doesn't care what she did. Drugs, robbing banks, or you shot somebody, whatever. And there's this, like, she has this reaction where he says that, right? Because she did shoot somebody. The thing is, you got to realize you did it. Nobody else, Bob says. It was inside you. See what I mean? There's a lot of things inside me, Phoenix says. Bob says Phoenix needs to look at things she did head on. Once you understand who you are, you can make amends and stop being afraid of yourself and do some good in the world. Because no matter what you believe, when the end comes, you'll want to be on that side. And Bruiser seems to like Bob too, so I think that's a good indication for Phoenix, right? Right, Because Bruiser is always barking at people who are shitty. Right. Good. Good call, yeah. Yeah. He's a good boy. Uh, and then, no sooner does he say that, right? You'll want that on your side. Yeah. Right? Then you turn the page. It's like a smash cut to this awful monster thing that Liz encountered, right? That's so horrible. Yeah, it's so gross. And so it, like, slices its claw. And, like, when it does that, it messes up all the cages, right, where all the other mutated animals are. And it bursts outside, and it's chasing Liz outside. We see that Liz has her walking cane. Man, that thing is horrible. I know. Look at that thing. It's so... And, like, they do a really good job with just two panels on that one page. Oh, yeah. Uh, Oh, right, yeah. Just 
I mean, they give you a close-up, which should be bad enough, but then when they zoom out, <laughs> it's worse. Um, I thought this was interesting. In the sketchbook, Tyler Crook says that the the design of this thing, he had a little trouble drawing it from multiple angles, so he actually carved like the head out of some... Uh, it was a badass looking car. Yeah, out of some putty or something, so that way he could use it as a reference to draw it from different angles. I thought that was really cool. As the monster chases Liz outside, Dr. Clyburn yells, Goodbye, Miss Sherman, and I don't want you to worry about your friend Andrea. I'll take care of her. And so Liz, she's running away from the monster, and she's like, I'm not going down like some punk. And she uses her cane to, like, whip the monster across the face. But then it kind of throws her aside, and she smashes her head on the friggin' concrete. Really, really messed up. The monster cat approaches Liz, and she says, It and Clyburn would be both a smoking oil stain a year ago. Today is your goddamn day, Liz says. And just then, the cat creature shrieks out. We see that another mutated animal... Like some dog creature or something got it, and it's like biting it now, too. No matter how mutated they are, it still comes down to dogs do not like cats. (laughs) (laughs) This allows Liz to be able to escape. That's it, nasty fuckers, Liz says. Tear each other up. Have a ball. The cops show up, and Liz is like, cops, even better. And so she's like, yeah, you take care of it, officers. You're the professionals. You handle this crap storm. I'm done. So she just leaves the cops there. And so we cut back over to this flashback with Phoenix at the child support services. The doctor tells the mom that Phoenix has two different DNA results taken from blood and cheek swabs. They show two distinct genetic fingerprints. The doctor says it's called a genetic chimerism. A genetic chimerism or chimera is a single organism composed of cells with two distinct genotypes. In animals, this means an individual derived from two or more zygotes, which can include possessing blood cells of differing blood types, subtle variations in phenotype, and if the zygotes were of differing sexes, even the possession of both male and female sex organs. Yeah, have you seen those birds that they look um, split down the middle? Right, yeah. One side is female, one side is male. Super cute and beautiful. Love it. Animal chimeras are produced by the merger of multiple fertilized eggs. In plant chimeras, however, the distinct type of tissue may originate from the same zygote, and the difference is often due to mutation during ordinary cell division. Chimerism can also occur in animals by organ transplantation, giving one individual tissues that develop from a different genome. And I didn't know this, but transplantation of bone marrow often determines the recipient's ensuing blood type. Wow. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. It's oh, another example of chimerism. So yeah, so that's a real phenomenon. The doctor tells the parent that the two fertilized eggs merge into a single organism. And little Phoenix overhears all this, and she comes up and she's like, you never said I had a sister. The doctor's like, it's not like that. You're lying, little Phoenix says. I seen her. I seen her, but she's gone now. And so Phoenix wakes up again to Bruiser barking. He's a good guard dog because he's waking up to oh, these yeah. people oh, yeah. ransacking Bob's place, right? Yeah, uh, Bruiser is a good dog, you know? He, I mean, he, he really is. And he's able to detect all these shitheads that are ransacking Bob's place. And that one girl, Gigi, is there. She tells Phoenix they were hungry. And they know Bob has supplies, but he won't tell them. You can show us, yeah, she says. And Phoenix just punches her square in the nose. That look on her face, like in that first panel where her yeah. hand's up, it's 
very creepy like they have yeah. no self-awareness yeah. whatsoever right right I love this panel where Phoenix punches her in the nose. Oh, that was so satisfying. Yeah, it almost reminds me like of a Guy Davis panel. Yeah. Yeah, there's something about it, that the way the motion is, and I don't know, I really like it that. It is a little Guy Davis-y. I like that. All of you, get the fuck out of here, Phoenix yells. And Bruiser's barking the same message, it looks like. <laughs> and as they all run out, Phoenix calls for Bob. She's shocked she didn't see it coming. And she crumbles to the ground, holding her head. Yeah, so she has these kind of, you know, right. she's able to see that trouble's coming, and this time she was just woken up to it already happen. I love this panel of Gigi running down with her blood coming down <laughs> in her face, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, did that guy still, like, can food, or is he holding it's cans paint. of paint? It's paint. Okay, that's, yeah. I was curious. Yeah. You're right. We cut over to the BPRD headquarters in Colorado, and Yosef and Johan talk in the control room. They're planning the New York mission. The BPRD will go in through Long Island and Yosef's SSS crew will go through New Jersey. Yosef can also provide additional manpower. Johan says it will be very dangerous. What isn't dangerous these days, Johan? Yosef asks. A closer relationship to the BPRD and the SSS will be the key to any gains we can make in this struggle. I'm happy that Dr. Corrigan has embraced that reality and asked for our cooperation. Yosef thinks the collaboration is due to their previous successful missions from a cold day in hell, but Johan reveals they just didn't have enough agents. And Yosef <laughs>, laughs, right? He says he welcomes the partnership in any case. Yeah, and, and Yo- I really like him. Yeah, he's, he's turned out to be a great character. And Yosef mentions Zinko was in Manhattan. And Johan starts putting it all together. He remembers the body from Garden of Souls that they were working on rehabilitating. Yosef says there was some curious activity related to them before the disaster, and he mentions how Marsden sold all the stock, and then through several shell companies, they bought stockpiles of resources, filtration system, generators, medical supplies, and ammunition. Tell me that doesn't raise some suspicions in you, Yosef says. But when he turns back, Johan's already gone. So just as he's saying all this, Johan's <laughs> like, what the fuck did we do with that body? You know what I mean? Yep. Like, well, oh, he's putting it all together. What a horrible feeling that must be for him. I'm surprised he hadn't thought about it before. Right, right. <laughs> because, I mean, oh, shit. I mean, that whole thing happened right after the body. He's like, oh, Zinko, I hadn't thought about them in a while. I mean, coincidence? Maybe? But right. no, absolutely fucking not. <laughs> So we cut back to the hospital, and we see those officers, they didn't. They weren't very effective against that cat monster, right? The police car is totally shredded up, it looks like one of the cops is dead, and the other one is severely injured, he's hiding behind a wall. He radios for backup and a medic, but he doesn't get a response. And so we have this really cool moment here, we cut to Liz, she's in like a supply room, and she's gathered all these candles to put around her. And I like how they're all different sizes. And one of them is even like one of those number candles that you get for like a birthday cake. Oh, yeah. I thought that was so cool. Yeah. And she's got them all around her. And so I think that there was a scene in Agartha where she had a bunch of candles around her. It also reminds me of the Black Goddess where she had all those frogs around her and then they burst into flames. And yeah. so it was kind of like it kind of made a circle of fire around her. Well, I mean, she's definitely setting up a meditation kind of thing right. and all that. Liz thinks to herself, what's wrong with me? Most would leave Clyburn up to the cops in the army. Why can't I? And she's gradually lighting all the candles. She thinks, why is she trying to go back to the way she was? I was a goddamn head case, she recalls. And as she meditates, she hears Shanshin. And then she's like back in her Agartha robes, right? She's kind of like having this flashback. 
You are who you have been and who you must be. Stop fighting, Shanshin says. Liz says her mantra, the fire is not my enemy. It is a part of me. It is mine. And we get this awesome panel from when Liz harnessed the Vril to destroy Kothahem in the Black Flame. Oh, that's such a good scene. I love that. Back in the supply room, the candles burn down. Is it? Really? Liz thinks. I don't want it to be. I don't. But if it isn't, who am I? Suddenly, the almost burned down wick ignites in flames. All the candles do. And it creates a wall of fire around Liz. I really like that. It's so cool. Like, looks great. Um, like it makes her hair go up too. Like the draft, I guess. You can feel the heat on your face. I mean, yeah. And then that look on her face. She's got that yeah. kind of half smile. She's yeah, like, she's got a little smirk there at the yeah. bottom. And you're just like, Liz is back, baby. This is such an amazing See, page. This is such an incredible page. Yeah. Now I think she's got her confidence back, but for or with a new purpose, like. She's always been using her power for destructive purposes, whether she meant to or it was intentional or unintentional. Right. right. And has struggled and, with control issues as well, I think. Yeah. And that's what she was like. I was miserable. Do I really want to be back to that? But she's thinking about her new friend in the hospital. She knows those cops are out there. Right. right? She's a hero now. I think that she's getting her confidence back because she's like, I can help. I can make a difference. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fucking epic. Anybody who has the ability to cause that much damage and destruction and, you know, she didn't do anybody any favors in King of Fear by torching everything. Right. And that's why she went AWOL. And now she's like, all right, well, all that aside, I do have this ability. And if I can get it back to where it was, maybe there's some good to be done. I, I really think that's where she's at here and then there's also the aspect that really jumps out at me is there's something about yourself that you wish was not there or you wish wasn't true or you wish you didn't have to deal with yeah but because she's like i I don't want this to be part of me but then if it's not part of me then who am i so that struggle struggling with that sense of identity and sense of purpose and sense of self is very real and these pages illustrate that so well it's it's so communicative and it's it's very touching. It's very uh, satisfying too to see her facial expression at the end of this four page journey or whatever yeah. it is. But it's very um, very satisfying. Yeah, well said. I mean, as of the end of issue three, I, I remember thinking, okay, all I care about with this story now, uh, the BPRD, is Liz. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. I was like, this is the only thing that matters to me right now. I don't care what happens to Abe yeah. or Johan or anybody. <laughs> this is the most exciting thing going right now. Yeah. And then the next cover, immediately when you see the next and cover, that, it's just like, yes. That brings it home. Yeah. Like triumphant. Yeah, so awesome. It's gorgeous. And like my, my love for this character, I can't express it enough because there's just such a lack of the exploration of multidimensional characters like this for that speak directly to me and i think that that's um you know i think there's a lot of people who feel the same way and i think um more and more we're seeing characters that speak to various other individuals whereas maybe in the past we haven't seen a whole lot of that and i think that's really good and cool yeah very very cool yeah good point yeah and this cover by Raphael albuquerque is amazing all the covers have had this kind of like orange fire element, but on this cover, it's really like taking up the whole thing, you know? It's beautiful. Yeah, I, I turned this page and I and I saw this cover and I was like, 
fuck yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just because, you know, it. I feel like it's something we've been waiting for ever since uh, the end of the Plague of Frogs. It's, yeah. It's to, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To burst back into the scene, not to be, you know, yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, I saw Raphael at a con. Oh. Uh, so my wife and I are standing in line, right? And he's signing stuff. And I was like, man, this guy's checking my wife out. <laughs> right? I thought for... I thought for sure he was, and and it's like one of those rare moments where, I, like, I don't get jealous, but I was like, <laughs> what is he looking at? And so she's standing, like, kind of next to me, behind me, and I look back, and it hit me. She's got this badass, like, uh, wolf print on her shirt. Cool. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> it's like a $300 t-shirt from All Saints Whoa, or something. Jeez, wow. that what I, the that, fuck? Well, once upon a time, I could afford these kind of things, and I would <laughs> wow. I would take business trips to Manhattan, and I would always try and bring something back for her Aww. to be like, okay, I know I was having fun, but look what I got that's you. That's nice. So anyway, it had this killer wolf design on it, and I was like, well, that's what he's looking at. Right. He's looking at the art. But yeah, for a second, I was like, I was like, who's this chump looking at my wife? But, that's so funny. But it was just too, it because... was my own insecurity. Yeah. That's yeah that's well, it, turn, it turns out that. You know, as an artist, that's really all he's ever doing is he's looking at this shirt like, that's right. a cool shirt. You right. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think that's so funny. It's such, such an in- innocent, dorky, yeah. art-minded <laughs> thing. And then yeah. other people are like, what are you looking at? But it's, yeah, that's great. How was he? when you <laughs> Did you get to talk to him at all? Or Oh, he is so chill and laid back. He was he was the most casual guy I've ever seen. He's like, uh, <laughs> he, was, he was sketching for somebody. And uh, you could just tell he would be fun to hang out with. Sure. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. He was super, super cool. How nice. In the beginning of chapter four, we open on the egg cult members and they're all freaking out. They're like, she's coming. <laughs> the princess is hatching. Jeez. They're like kissing each other and all Fucking this kind of nerds. stuff. Right. It's like dancing and banging and whatever. <laughs> and like what dude's pouring, pouring a bowl of shit on his face. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's really into it. He's all like, "Put it." <laughs> Over at Bob's, Bruiser growls, and Phoenix mutters, "She's coming to herself as she sleeps." Well, so check this out, though. Uh, that's Jean, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I've heard her. I've heard her voice. Her footfalls. Her voice. Soon, everyone. Soon. Yeah, that's that guy, Jean. Yeah. So you know how they say, every time you reread previous issues you'll see stuff in a new light yeah i believe that he might be hearing something else and he doesn't realize it mm. but i'll just leave i'll leave it at that okay oh, okay yeah. good point good point yeah i've heard her voice he says interesting yeah anyone who's read it all the way through right uh, might know what i'm talking about i do not know what you're talking about but i will keep that in mind i don't want to ruin it <laughs> uh, if i'm even right i could right, be wrong right and we cut over to Phoenix's nightmare. And this is an amazing image by Tyler Crook. We see this weird Grim Reaper tentacle monster thing. It's like as tall as a building. Super weird. And it's got flames shooting out of its eyes. Very metal. Well, I, I took it as like a, her dream interpretation of the black flame because in that the Chrysler oh, building right in front yeah, of me. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, good point, Aubrey. They and don't know about the Black Flame yet. Johan is only just now kind of been clued in that Zinko's up to something. Right, and there's all these black skulls, and then there's the Zinko soldiers in like this riot gear. 
It's like it's like I saying like she's dreaming of New York, but she's only interpreting it the way that right you would interpret a dream because like she's not actually dreaming of the Black Flame. She's but she's and connecting she, with some of that. Yeah, yeah, because she's even saying she's coming. Right, right. While she's dreaming in this vision, Phoenix is with her travelers, like when she was with all those street kids in BPRD, Hell on Earth, New World. And they ask her why she didn't warn them. They ask what comes next, and Phoenix just repeats, I don't know, I don't know. And just then, those hammerhead monsters burst through. And, like, one of them is gonna, is right on top of Phoenix, it's just about to bite down on her. And then suddenly, it gets totally engulfed in flames. Liz stands over her. Phoenix turns around and she says, I'm sorry, I didn't know. It's okay, Feeny, Liz says. It's not your fault. You're going to be all right. And so that's what her mom called her, right? In this vision, it's Liz saying it. And she watches Liz fry one of these hammerheads. And she has this like super pumped look on her face. Yeah. She's like, yeah, that's awesome. And then we see like that ghost hand is going to, is coming behind her. Like it's about to touch her shoulder. And then just then she wakes up. And then it turns out that actually might have happened because here's the ghost. Yeah. So then she sees the ghost in real life, right? God, that ghost is the creepiest yeah, thing. Yeah, it's a good design. <laughs> it's not cool, man. It's no, not yeah. Cool. It doesn't have any, like, it, the eyes are just blank, too. I think that's also part of it being very unsettling. I like the way the bruiser is, like, up on her and, like, she's hugging bruiser, but uh, bruiser also looks like he's nervous. He can probably see the ghost. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. can definitely yeah. sense something. You can see there's a yeah. little motion that he, he his head turned. Yeah. Yeah. But he also looks like he's nervous, so yeah. it's like they're comforting each other. Aww. I was going to say basically the same thing. It's like Bruiser's like, oh, no, she's doing that thing again. Right. Right. You know, she's worried about something, and I can't <laughs> tell why, but he can. he's picking up on it. Because the first time I read it, I was like, oh, does he see it too? Right. But I, I think maybe he does. A little later on, I, I think maybe he does. But on the other hand, they don't come right out and say it well in the in this mignola verse and we've seen it a lot more in the hellboy titles but a lot of times the animals know more about right. what's going on and stuff like that we've seen that we cut back over to this hospital and the cat monster totally got that cop it looks so gross and grotesque as it's like chowing down on him he was the guy that was calling for backup and then so we kind of see the backup too right there's some other guys that have come up they haven't been able to damage the creature it looks like they shot it at least five headshots. Right, and it's not doing anything. And uh, one of the guys is smoking. That's one little detail that's in there. They talk about what to do. Did the Navy leave any heavy arms when they were there? And then so Liz just pops up out of nowhere. She asks if they can spare a cigarette. And the cop is like, this is restricted. Like, they're having this crazy moment, and she's just like, hey, can one of you spare one of those? Classic Liz. Yeah. But I just love the, the, the hilarity of it, too, because it's all like, the crazy and hey can i bomb a smoke yeah (laughs) but then she says okay well you guys are getting nowhere so how about that cigarette and this guy's like okay so we're a bunch of clowns but really you have to leave (laughs) and she's like let me ask you something you clowns thought about using fire on that thing and the way that she holds the cigarette up too it's just like a mojo back back at the bprd headquarters johan meets with kate Johan is talking to Kate about what Yosef told him. Zinko was prepared for New York to have a disaster. Johan is suspicious. Kate agrees it looks suspicious, but they won't know anything until their teams get in there. Jiroko comes in, and she asks if Kate is putting the roster together for the teams. Hold on, Kate says. Don't tell me. You want me to give you Howard's, right? (laughs) 
And she's like, too late. Johan already put in his request. Damn, Jiroko says. Looks like Gervish and Nichols convinced her that she needed him, right? Well, I was thinking like she was going to tell her that uh, no, I don't want I, I don't want Howard on my team, and she was like stopped her before she said something because of the way she says uh, I think she was going to say I don't want this guy on my team. And oh, and when she said Johan's already made the request, he's all like, oh damn. Oh, <laughs> guess I don't get the guy I didn't want. Oh, okay, that's an interesting read on it. Uh, that's good. So Johan says Jiroko will have Yosef and at least one specialized agent. So I thought that was an interesting tidbit, right? Oh yeah, it's setting yeah. up. It's saying that. Yeah, it's, who's this other specialized agent? You know, we're going to be getting somebody else in there. Oh man, damn. Oh damn. Yeah, Johan says his team is human and he needs Howard's. This is the part I like. So Kate asks, "What's the big deal with Howard's anyway? He doesn't look like much to me." You haven't read my report on Chicago, have you, Kate? Johan asks. And we cut over to Howard's. He's eating in the commissary, and we cut. We go zoom in on his eye. And on his again with the eyes, yes. And in his eye, there's this crazy vision of Galdenar just slicing up the cold people, and he's like, "Put them down, put the dead into the ground." And then we zoom back out, and he's just drinking his drink through a straw. (laughs) Well, it looks like we zoom in on uh, on his eye. Oh yeah, no, we zoom in on Galdenar's eye, and then we we cut back to Howard's drinking his drink. So it's kind of like. Like this is going think, on in in his head as he's or, as he's eating or as he's eating he's also Galdenar battling. Well, I was thinking maybe it was like he's he's kind of switching back and forth, right? Um, like he's his focus is like, well, you know, you don't have to have much focus to eat like a sandwich and drink something, right? And then he focuses in on the Galdenar stuff, and then he can I don't know. Right. I mean, maybe I'm just reading too much into it. <laughs> so this was interesting, and I remember people talking about this at the time that this originally came out. Is this explaining to us that they exist in both worlds, or is Galtonar now in the BPRD, and Howard's is back with Galtonar's tribe? Oh, I don't know. Or is this is this the same guy in two timelines, or have they switched? the The constant is the sword, right? Right, right. And so, you know, like like Aubrey said, the second time they zoom in, that's Galtonar's eye. Yes. Or, it's the Galdenar timeline. Yeah. And I don't think that's clear. Yeah. That's, right? That is so weird. It's like um, this weird it's kind like of they, circular reasoning, kind of like Abe's origin. Yeah. Yeah, exactly like Abe's origin. Are they existing in the same place? Do they exist because of each other now? Is it because of the sword? It's so weird. Yeah. I, I mean, you're so distracted by him saying, put the dead into the ground and all the blood, and it's just yeah. glorious. Yeah. <laughs> But contrasted with Howard's just sitting here having dinner or whatever over top of, uh, you know, with the juxtaposition of what what Kate is saying, it doesn't look like much to me. Right. At first you think, okay, they're showing us, yeah, well, Kate, if you only knew. But on the other hand, there might be another layer here where they're explaining to us that there's multiple timelines. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It's pretty, pretty cool. Johan tells Kate she really should read it. <laughs> See you later, he says. <laughs> <laughs> Such a weird dude, man. Although I'm surprised she ha- didn't at least skim the thing. <laughs> I mean, busy. I mean, busy. even if you can put like, you make it, even if you made like a one-page summary, like at the bottom. Oh, and then Howard woke up and killed everybody, yeah. all the bad guys. <laughs> Why aren't people talking about that? <laughs> 
Yeah, Johan could have just said, oh, well, you should read it because he woke up from this coma <laughs> and killed everything <laughs> and saved the day. If you want more details, read the report. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. We cut back to the salt and sea monster egg, and we see Gene, that jerkwad from last week's story. He's listening to the egg. I really don't like that guy. Anyway, yeah. a man comes up, and he starts talking to Gene, and they say, it's happening. She's coming today. Gene says, she's moving in there speaking. I can hear her. In Bob's place with Phoenix, she talks to the ghost girl. They go into Bob's area looking for him. Phoenix says she should be trying to ask the hippies where Bob is. She has the ghost, why she's there all of a sudden. She hasn't seen her since she was little. It's better when you're inside, Phoenix says. When you're just a feeling telling me when shit's going to go down. But you stop doing that too. Right, she couldn't, she didn't know that those people were going to come take Bob or whatever. Where are you taking me, Phoenix tells the ghost. I don't even know this place had a basement. Hey, if you're going to be spooking this way, you got to talk. You can't be pulling, and so she leads Phoenix down into this, like, underground bunker that Bob had, and it's got all these weapons. It's, like, shit-loaded with ammunition, right? It's like that bunker in Terminator 2. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so there are these newspapers. So I was trying to make sense of this. It says, Sacramento 7 arrested in bomb plot, and Bob is one of them. He's one of the Sacramento 7? Yeah, he was a radical. Right, and then it says that the conviction was overturned due to tainted evidence. So I guess he, you know, he didn't end up going to jail or whatever. So Phoenix is like, oh, would you look at this? He had all this, held onto it for some reason, and he still let the freaks out there beat on him. But it doesn't make sense. What he'd say, and so she flashbacks to him saying, you know, you're going to want to do some good in the world and have that on your side when the end comes. And she's like, oh, I guess... You know, he felt bad about making bombs, and the Jesus stuff worked out real good on you. God is love, peace, turn the other cheek. But that's you, Bob. I can't do it, Phoenix says. I gotta hit back. I mean, I got to. And I don't believe you see much good in that. And then she remembers Bob telling her to stop being afraid of herself. And she just looks over at the ammunition. And so, yeah, when I got to this page, I was like, yes, something awesome is gonna happen here. Mm-hmm. You notice that even in her flashback from, like, yesterday uh when it was all dark and dreary still got a little bit of a brighter tint to it oh yeah but i mean they are inside it looks like right over at the hospital with liz and the cops they're siphoning gasoline from a cop car one cop says he hopes liz knows what she's doing if her plan doesn't work they won't be able to get away we see liz pouring out the gasoline into a puddle between them and the cat monster who's in the background still eating on that cop from earlier and liz says she's rusty She'll need a match. The cop is like, what the hell does being rusty have to do with it? Just give me a match, Liz says. And so she ignites the match and throws it at the puddle of flames. And she, like, grows it, right? Like, she, like, grows the flame. Really, That is so awesome. Well, I love the way... And, like, moves it. Yeah. Well, I love the way that it focuses on on, uh, just the match. Because you can, like, see it kind of just flying over, hitting the gas, pushing up. And then she starts controlling it and pushing it over. Right. And so when she makes that big flame, the cat monster starts running over. And then as it runs towards, she just holds her arm out and it like pushes all the flame onto this thing. And so, so yeah, it's totally set alight. It's burning and melting in this giant fireball. Really awesome action by Tyler Crook here. The the look on those cops faces. (laughs) I love that panel. Yeah. Yeah. Like they'll do they'll do anything she says now right Right, yeah i love that little beat right there 
And they're just looking astonished at her. She says, don't wet yourself just yet. We need to take over the hospital and fire's no good in there. And they're like, the hospital? And she just takes the rifle from this one cop. How much ammo you boys have left? And there's one panel, like, with the fire behind her and everything. It's just so awesome. It's so badass. You're like, man, I love having Liz yeah. back. This is, like, the Liz that... This is classic Liz. She's our hero. This yeah. is so cool. I mean, it's like we haven't seen Liz in this way in so long. Yeah. We're, we're in the, the third omnibus of Hell on Earth, right? Yeah, yeah. And we haven't seen her be all flamey since the last omnibus of uh, plague of frogs right so, so it's been like yeah two years. and a half two yeah. and a half yeah we cut over to the burning man uh, near the Ogdruham, and we see Gigi, and she's got a broken nose right she's because <laughs> uh phoenix punched her there and she's hey, cr- do you do you read the goon by eric powell yeah yeah doesn't this guy remind you of frankie oh yeah he does kind of look like his sidekick you're right. Yeah, without those big oh, eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry. Do they call him Frankie or no? He just kind of looks like him. And Gigi's crying. Why? Why? She yells, and we see everyone else is all in agony and despair. We see stupid Jean crying, <laughs> and we reveal that the egg is all blown up. Right? <laughs> oh, this is so awesome. And in the distance, Phoenix walks with Bruiser. She's got like a friggin' grenade launcher and all the other ammo. This is a great hero She's panel, too. a fucking too. good shot, by the way, for someone who's never fired a grenade launcher in their right? life to hit the target and not have any casualties. Sure, other sure. Than... Well, we don't know there weren't other casualties. It seems like everyone's okay other <laughs> than the fact that they're upset that right. the, thing, the thing got blown up, but yeah. Definitely getting some Sarah Connor vibes sure. off of Phoenix oh, right yeah. here. Yeah. Chapter 5. We get Look another cover. Cool, yeah, a cool cover with evil Dr. Clyburn. Look at the top. Yeah, there's yeah. a giant skull up there. Back with Liz and the cops. Liz catches this big mutated rat with a stick, and she explains to the cops all about Clyburn and his mutated animals. She also mentions that Clyburn has had access to the patients in the hospital for 24 hours. He could have mutated people, too. And I like this. As she's talking to the cop, she, like, slingshots the rat off or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was really funny. We cut to Clyburn, and he's actually watching Liz talking to the cops. He talks to Andrea, who's shadowed in the background, and she's, like, muttering or whatever. So we get the sense that, like, something he's already been doing something. He tells her that Liz is coming back for her. We see Liz go into the hospital, and whenever I get one of these panels, I always wonder about you, Matt, if you like this panel where she's pushing the hospital door open. Uh (laughs) Yeah, and just like earlier where they turned off the speakerphone at the beginning, there's a zoom in of a thumb pushing it, it's a click. I just love those. Yeah. (laughs) You can can hear and feel the thunk as she pushes that in there. I like that. They go in, and they see a security guard at the desk, so they start to doubt Liz. And the cop's like, he starts going to talk to the security guard, but then he's a horrible, elongated, double-armed monster (laughs) man. Yeah, and so this thing looks so awesome. There's a concept art of this thing in the sketchbook, and I think it has, like, crab legs or something like that also, this weird security guard monster. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty creepy. Really epic design, and Liz just blows its head off. Forget what you see, she yells. They're not people anymore. Shoot to kill. And we see more monsterfied patients come rushing out of the hospital doors. Tyler Crook and Dave Stewart never disappoint on these gross guys. The cops feel overwhelmed. They ask if Liz can just torch them like the cat monster as all these like zombies are coming at them. 
Liz says the whole place could go up. She came to save lives. And there might still be people alive, even if it's only one. And so, yeah, that really goes along with what you were saying, Matt, because before she would just burn everything, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And not really have a lot of, she just wanted to kind of like destroy everything. Right. In that, like, it makes me think of that one where Johan was trying to do the research, you know what I mean, on the runes, and then she just torched the place or whatever. Yeah, no finesse whatsoever. It was just um, what they call haymaker punches. Right, right. Where it's just a wild punch from the side that you can see coming, but it's going to be so impactful, it doesn't make a difference. Right, right. And we see Dr. Kleiber, and he's listening to the gunfire and all this going on, so he knows they're coming. We cut to another one of these news reports, and we see all these religious symbols. So we see the cross, we see an ankh, the Egyptian symbol for life, we see a pentagram, we see the Abe symbol, the Abe cult symbol. This one that kind of looks like a cross with this thing attached to it, that's the one that they painted on the cave people in Abyss of Time. Oh, okay. And it also Mm. kind of resembles the thing that's on the Whittier medallion. If if you go back and look at it, it kind of looks like something like this. What about this one at the top? And this one in the corner, I don't know what that one is. Do you know what that one is, Matt? With the star? No. Okay, I no, don't know what that one all. is. Yeah. Maybe we'll maybe we'll see it again later. Or if anybody knows, let us know. Yeah, let us know. This one reverend, Paul Needon, and he was the reverend that we saw in Gods and Monsters who was all traditional, and then he got converted into all this monster stuff. And then we see a quote-unquote typical-looking reverend guy, and they immediately start arguing. Johan is watching all this. And the UN guy's behind him, and he asks him if this is the best use of the monitoring equipment. Johan says that this is the only reliable news feed. They've gotten information that has led them to other Ogdraham that they were able to destroy before it became a threat. And the UN guy says he's read Johan's research on Zinko, and has discovered that Zinko bought weapons that were sent to Manhattan. That might be worth taking note of, since their next mission is to go there. On the monitors, the reverends continue to argue. Oh, so now I'm the Antichrist. (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) These two are just going back and forth. Same shit is still happening, even in the apocalypse, right? Back with the cops and Liz. The cop says, he's ran out of ammo. So, Liz responds, I ran out five minutes ago. And she knocks a monster's head off with the butt of the gun. I like that. She's like... Just using that as a weapon. Yeah, she just flips yeah, it around so and turns into a club. <laughs> it's official. Uh, BPRD training is better than police training, if only because the BPRD has taken the apocalypse and apocalyptic scenarios into account, right? Yeah. It's like cops might think, okay, this guy might be a criminal, while a BPRD agent might think, okay, this guy might be a friggin' demon from hell. Right. right? <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, I... I always credit Pauline Raskin when it comes to BPRD training. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good job. Good callback there. She trained Nichols. The cops and Liz make their way up the stairs. One of the cops says he's been bitten. Will he turn into one of them? How the hell should I know Liz responds? <laughs> I love that response. He's like, he's like oh, my God, am I going to turn into one? How the fuck should I? <laughs> Clyburn calls out to Liz. He says he has her friend. She missed you, I think. He says, would you like to say hello? You can guess what's in the syringe, Miss Sherman, Clyburn says. And so we see that he's got this syringe. It's attached to this little tube. And the tube is connected to like an injection site for Andrea. 
and she's got tape over her mouth, so she's still human. So when we heard her muttering, you know, I thought they were kind of setting that up that she was already going to be transformed. But we see that he kind of maybe held on to that to hold as leverage against Liz. Yeah, no, I when we turn the page and we see that she's just like duct taped to the chair and then her mouth is shut and he's like up the solution. I was just like, oh, I wasn't expecting that because I yeah. expected that she'd already been turned. Yeah. There's still time. Clyburn says, it's time for the police to leave. It's time for all you to leave my patients alone, except you, Miss Sherman. I'll need you to stay. Liz, like, drops her fighting stance. The cops leave. And Clyburn says he won't hurt Andrea. Like how you didn't hurt all the other patients, Liz asks. Clyburn says he didn't hurt them. He made them stronger. You hurt them. You shot them, he tells Liz. Clyburn wants Liz to get them a squad car and drive them out of there. And Liz says, just let Andrea go. And she'll drive him anywhere. Clyburn says, this is not a negotiation. You're not in control here. No. No, I'm not, Liz responds. You know, she kind of looks fearful in this last panel where she says that. And then so we cut to them. They're carrying Andrea down the stairs in her wheelchair. And Liz is just kind of like looking at her. And then so Clyburn, he has to stop and take a breather at the bottom of the stairs. Because, you know, it winded him like carrying her down there. And Liz is just sharing this glance at Andrea. She's looking at her crying. I suppose you're in better shape than I am, Clyburn says. And we cut back over to Liz. And she has another vision of Shanshin behind her. And he says, you are in control. And we focus in on her eyes again, right? I don't know if it was more of a vision. It was more of a, um, I don't know, kind of like one of those moments where it's like, you know, things are getting heated. And he's like, you are in control. Right, yeah. So it's like motivating her from, you know, maybe she just hears the voice. She furrows her brow. We focus in on her eyes. And then the little tube burns up. What? I don't under... Clyburn looks up shocked. And then his green and blue eyes turn red. And then we turn the page and flames start coming out of his eyes. And then his whole head is on fire. Like she burned him from the inside out, I want to think, right? Yeah. Yeah, She's definitely got more control now. Wow. And his whole head catches on fire. And he starts running wildly. And he crashes through a window. And on the next panel, his flaming skull smashes into the ground. Yeah, pretty brutal. I mean, you you gotta love moments when someone's head bursts into flames and they jump through a window. Yes, that is the coolest. Every, I mean, that will never fail. Yeah, no, that was great. Yeah, and so it's such a satisfying end to this horrible character. Pretty metal. And Liz takes Andrea outside to the cops. I love how they're all rejoicing, right? The cops are like the way the Tyler Kirk, the way the Tyler Kirk draws them is they're like, "Way to go, Sherman! Fight fire with fire!" I love these guys. They, they turn into her personal cheerleader. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. It's great. Liz says to keep the fire stuff to themselves, at least until after she leaves. And the cop asks where she's going. And we cut to the VPRD headquarters. This Yay. is so satisfying. Because yeah. it makes you think, at least me, I thought that like there's going to be another thing while she's trying to get back oh. to the VPRD and all this. So glad we could skip all that. We, oh, yeah. we just yeah. cut to her so already good. being there. All the Immediate crowd. payoff. That's yeah. the story we want to see now is her back together with it. We don't want to see like the whole journey. Of yeah, how yeah. She got right. don't want to see her packing her clothes. <laughs> it's like, come Walking on. the whole way there. <laughs> So this whole crowd is gathered around a stage. I was thinking maybe this is a briefing room or something. We come in mid-speech from Kate. Been through a lot these last couple years, but she's back home now. So I want a big warm welcome for the one and only Liz Sherman. And they all start clapping. This one agent is like, woo, Miss Liz in the house. And Liz Look at go- Howard's. 
He's just all chilling. Oh, he's yeah. I didn't even notice that. Big deal. <laughs> uh, he's he, he's in the middle of a Gal'denar battle right there, probably. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so Liz goes up to greet this agent, and his name's Chan, right? Is that how you would say that? Oh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. In my head, I say Tian. But... Right. I can't believe you're still here, Liz says. I can't believe I'm still alive, he says. Look at you, woman. It's like you got younger. What are you doing right? And she goes, switch to filters. Ah. But I do like this detail that she has also, like, regained some youthfulness. Like, her firepower is kind of keeping her young. Mad scientist just said, I suppose you're in better shape than I am. Right, right, right? yeah. Well, I was, like, thinking about this yesterday because, like, I remember in um, one of the early Hellboy stories, they said her birth year was 62. Oh, okay. So I'm sitting there going, like, Liz is 12 years older than me. And I'm like, but damn, she's like aging backwards. Yeah, (laughs) for real. But also, like, I don't know. I mean, I guess I just kind of like the idea of somebody who is older than I am. Right, right. Still look like a normal person and not like (laughs) fucking Aunt May and fucking smart. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so Jiraku comes over and Liz already knows her. Kate told Liz all about her. Liz knows Carla was with Sal Tasso in Scotland. And Kate said Liz should ask Jeroko about what Sal said. And we cut to a flashback of that moment where they're fighting the giants and where where Tasso died. And he says, ain't wounded McGee, dead. McGee was his nickname for Liz, right? So she she tells Jeroko that. I like that little detail. We know that they kind of, they you know, they had some kind of relationship, you know, based on that, uh, yeah. that little scene in um, Abe Sapien, The Devil Does Not Jest. And Liz excuses herself to reunite with Johan. I really like this scene, too. I like how she grabs both of his hands, you know what I mean? And he goes, Elizabeth, ah, if only I could kiss your hand. And she says, God, it's good to see you, Johan. I like how she says it's good to see you, because he's not there. Yeah, well, right. yeah, You know what I mean? Like, she can't really good see him. Good to be him. in your presence. Right, but, but, but the way that she says it is good to see you. I, I just think that's very telling, just that one little yeah. line. Well, I mean, I think it's just more like, you know, she's good. It's good to see him because, you know, she can see the bag and, you know, she's used to him. Right, right. And they catch up a little bit. And Liz says it's tough to take in all that's happened with Tasso, Daimio, and Abe. So she's just hearing about all this stuff, right? All the stuff that's happened. So that's pretty crazy, too. Liz had hoped the Bureau would have been a stable place to hang on to. But that's crazy. Gotta keep moving forward, don't we? Liz asked. And she puts her arm around Johan. Just so, my dear, Johan responds. What a cool moment. I really like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and so one little thing. Uh, so Jeroko comes up and she's like, Agent Sherman, I don't mean to interrupt. And then they start talking about Tasso. And then when Johan comes up, Jeroko's like, okay, but... And then she gets interrupted by that. So I was wondering if she was coming to ask Liz to be on her roster. Yeah, oh, possibly. Right, because she already knew that she didn't get Howard's, you know what I mean? So I was wondering if that was her ul- ulterior motive, and then she didn't even get to ask because then Johan came in. We see a cigar box. It has all of Liz's stuff in there. We see that awesome pic that Duncan Figueredo redrew for Guy Davis of Hellboy putting the bunny ears on Abe and Liz and Cater there. I really like that image. It's good to see. Uh, I always like when another artist gets to do that. Liz gets her signature cross choker thing. And we see her put on her uniform in front of the mirror. I really like that. And I was looking at these little pictures. So I thought this was kind of interesting. Did you, did you see these little pictures on the wall, Matt? Yeah, I, 
I'm pretty sure Roger's in one of them, right? Is that her and Roger? Yeah, well, the yeah. bottom one. But I thought one of them... What but are... how did Johan and Hellboy get in a picture together? They've never met. That, that's what I was going to say. I was right? wondering, is that Hellboy and and Johan? But maybe what, what, maybe what she I would... taped a picture of uh, Hellboy onto that right there. Maybe it's kind of like a collage thing. Well, what I was thinking is that are these Roger's drawings? Because remember, he drew all these little pictures. Oh, and so oh, wouldn't that be cool? And then so and she, she started staying in his room. Yes, she started staying in his room after he died. So I wonder Let's if maybe with that. she took up some of those pictures, and maybe Roger drew both Hellboy and Johan because he worked with both of them, and they were his. Friends I like that maybe. a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. That's good. That's what that made me think of. And who's that in the picture with Roger? I think that's Liz. I think that's I think that's her and and Roger. That's very cute. We cut to the UN briefing room. Kate meets with Liz, the UN guy, Devin Droko, Panya with marbles, and Johan. Kate says that now Johan will have Liz on his roster, and Droko's like, I didn't even get to put in my request. Yeah, and so I think that's what she wanted to talk to Liz about in Mm -hmm. that last scene. Kate says Carla will now have Howards. They tell Liz about the upcoming mission in New York. And how New York is cut off from all communication and observation. It's been a year, so they can only imagine how bad it is there. Panya has not been able to create a psychic link with anyone there. She can't even find a cat or dog. Kate says, not even the military know what's happening in New York. I do, a voice says. And we reveal Phoenix and Bruiser. And Phoenix has her arm in a sling, so she's obviously had some adventures since we last saw her. She's also got, like, bruises on her face and a band-aid. So the guards try to, you know, they try to intervene, but Kate calls the guards off to put their gun down. Jesus, Phoenix, you can't just walk in and out of a secure government facility anytime you... Well, obviously you can, somehow, (laughs) but you shouldn't. Sweetheart, what are you doing here, Kate says. I'm ready to stop being a baby, Phoenix says. I'm ready to fight. The end. The end. Yeah, very cool, very cool moment. So okay. now we've got all the team back together. Yeah. We've got Liz back, and now we're going to have Phoenix and Bruiser, too. I find it kind of crazy that it's been a year since the events of Return of the Master. Oh, yeah, you're right. It, okay, yeah, yeah, because that's when Phoenix mm-hmm. left. Yeah, well, You're catching that timeline there, yeah. Well, not just that. I mean, it's also like, you know, that's when uh, Black Flame returned, and they don't know anything about it. And so that means that he's had a whole year to do whatever the fuck he's doing in New York. Right. Yeah, and now New York. This series, uh, Leg of Fire, did a lot of work, not just in delivering, I guess, three different storylines, but it reunited characters from the very beginning to the very end literally reignited liz's character yeah there's gonna be a russian sss bprd team up yeah um and it's all because of their planned assault on zinco in new york city yeah i mean there look this was a great series but it was basically one big build-up to the next arc yeah and yeah Remember, I was texting you saying, can you tell me what we're reading next? Because I needed to know if we were going to go straight into the next BPRD or not. Because there's some major stuff right around the corner. Even if you haven't read ahead like right. I have, yeah. you know that from this. Because oh, yeah. how many times did they say New York or bring it up? Or they just hit you who's going to be on my constantly. team? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And now we know there's four specialized agents Maybe five or six when you count the Russians, because they were alluding to a new one that we're going to meet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. an all new guy. I mean, this is how can you not be excited? 
at yeah. this point. This sets up so much good stuff. Well, and then also it's like, you know, the end of Return of the Master where the Black Flame comes back. You know, if this had been one of the big twos, the next the immediate next issue would have been and here's what happened. Right. But right. you have to spend yeah. like a whole I guess like a, a whole year. Right. And you get to see Johan and then get Howard's back and the whole thing in Russia with Vavara and um, all the BPRD in the street stuff showing us yeah. what society's like. And then, know. you know, Abe going off on his his journey. And it's great. It, it's like, you know, you get to that. It's like they got to that one point. But then instead of like going and here you go, it's like, let's build up to get to that. Right. And so right. It's, it's just so exciting to read. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's really been awesome. But we have some setting up to do before we get into some of this next BPRD stuff. So we'll continue to be jumping around. But we are going to get to all this stuff soon. I want to jump over to page 377 in the sketchbook. There's a little bit of a spoiler in here. I don't really know how much of a spoiler it is, but it's definitely thought-provoking. So in the sketch, we see um, Scott Ellie's notes say, Tyler's haunting design for the reveal of Phoenix's sister. And then it says, Little Phoenix and Eris. Do you remember Eris? Do you remember that name? Like from Hellboy or in general? From Witchfinder, Lost and Gone Forever, the witch was named Eris. Oh, shit. Oh. And then they also referenced Eris again in reference to something with Utah, right? Oh, shit. Okay. And then so, yeah. So anyway, that's an interesting tidbit. We get some really nice sketch designs on uh, Tyler Crook designing all these characters this is where they talk about that accidental C documentary on YouTube and how they designed that um that place the scrap world is what they call it here in the sketchbook Scott Alley writes we've sometimes given Tyler a hard time about the monsters being too cute something about Clyburn's mutant animals uh-huh. menagerie brought out the best in him and so I guess uh, they really liked his you know animal designs there's a lot of different ones in there we also see that little maquette that he made out of super sculpty to be able to paint the cat monster from different different angles. I like how he said he sent it to Arcudi as a present. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, we also see some great Mignola designs. He designed the Ogdrahem that's in the cover. And so there's um, some great images of that as well in the sketchbook. And we also get the roughs and the layouts for Raphael Albuquerque's sketchbooks. There was an d- alternate design for issue one, which is pretty cool. Um, that you can check out, along with a really beautiful Abe piece that Tyler Crook made for the 30 Days of Abe Sapien promotion on Multiversity. So yeah, those are really great sketches in the sketchbook. Be sure to check that out. Awesome. It's been great coming back. Good job, everybody. What do you mean a skeleton crew made this little cat head? I know, right? <laughs> Let's get a skeleton crew replica of that. And uh, real quick, before we kind of start closing out, I wanted to plug your podcast, Matt. It was so funny. I was listening to that in character episode. I listened to it like three. Oh. I, I listened to that episode like three times, and I played it for Danielle in the car. <laughs> it was so funny. Did you listen to that one, Aubrey? Oh. Have you heard that one yet? It's called In Character. When did that one come out? I don't know. It's about the real good Walmart or what? Yeah. The real good Walgreens. <laughs> yeah, that's a. That's like. That's a character I do to annoy my wife. That's awesome. <laughs> and it really is like an amalgamation of a whole or a few different people that I've known. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm glad you like that. That's because I'm always like, I don't know if I should do this stuff or not. I was dying but... listening to that one. It was so funny. <laughs> I did hear that one. But anyway, you had a you had a little blurb on your recent announcement about some stuff that's going to be going on in your show. And so you want to yes. plug that a little bit? So I've decided to... Um, I basically just wanted to like kind of, I don't know, 
grow the podcast a little bit and try some new things. And I'm gonna I'm gonna try and branch out. Now I, I think I told you about this. I'm gonna allow people to take over my podcast. That's nice. one thing I wanna do. Yeah, I just wanna invite people to kind of like do the podcast themselves, you know? I might so, be interested in that. Are you talking about you just make you just do an episode and then I just send it yeah. to you or something? I might yeah, be interested I would in like, doing that. I would like all three of you to do it. I think that'd be really fun. <laughs> um, and or, or each. Like yeah, each of yeah. you do one. But so anyway, I, I've wrapped up season one is what I'm calling it. Now I'm moving on to season two. A lot of the same, but then with some new stuff. And I mean, you know, I'm just having fun with this. Yeah, uh, it's great. I, I think I've had all time. I think I've had as many downloads as you guys get in a day oh. <laughs> on, on, on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. But but in the last, I don't know, week I'm up 575%. Wow, that's awesome, oh, wow. man. Awesome. That's kind of cool. So uh, it sounds a lot bigger than it really is. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> Friendship. But I'm having, I'm having fun doing it. Awesome. And, and that's that's what matters to me um, <laughs> more than anything else. Yeah, no, so, it's, 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 it's really fun. It's a good show. I like it. Well, I'm glad that you like like it and i'm glad that you guys like that weird little character thing i did i did that i did that once before and i think that's just kind of just being creative yeah you know what i mean yeah it it really tells it it tells a good story i enjoyed it and it was a true story anyway All right, so we'll be back again next week with another show. Thank you guys so much again for all the listener feedback and for hanging out for a year. And we're going to be doing a lot of great stuff this next year. So more book club next week. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. That was a great story. Share us your thoughts on BPRD, Hell on Earth, Lake of Fire. You can send us a Hey You Damn Guys at HellboyBookClub at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find the Discord link and the reading list on our Facebook page. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Be sure to check out our friends at Mignolaverse.com for all the wonderful things they do over there. And always a thanks to Paul from Gardaharn for that yeah. wonderful theme uh, and that amazing fucking birthday song. Yes. Again. And also a shout out to Mark Trudell for the reading order. Yes. And everything. yes. Uh, so, yeah. Next week, we are going to be discussing Mr. Black. I mean, Lobster Johnson and the Burning Hand. I'm Aubrey. So, you know yes. what to do. Pull out your trades and floppies. Pull out your hardback copies. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Digital's fine. You can read along in time. Digital's prince's fine. Oh, love that so fucking much. And join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. And I'm Danielle. I'm Matt Trackbine. And I'm Aubrey Lovell saying, we got to keep moving forward, don't we? Yeah, good job.